This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. DNA is the best wrestling in the whole world. Oh, shit! It's Vince Russo! Tata, be gone with you. Oh, yeah, you can be king, king, king of these nets. You know? <laughs> Your grasp of the obvious is amazing! We're two freaking ninja juggalos. This is BS! This sucks! I've lost my objectivity and I don't give a damn! Welcome everybody to You've Got to Be Kidding Me, episode number 27. We are a TNA history podcast that covers TNA one month at a time. This episode we're talking about July 2004. I'm Garrett Kidney. I'm joined, as always, by my steadfast co-host, Liam Jones. Liam, hello. I like that intro. I felt like I was entering a game show. Well, I figure you've only just woken up, so I'll, I'll bring the energy up a little for the intro so that you have to come and match it. Yeah, we're doing a, a reverse of what it normally is. Yeah, because it's usually I'm up, you uh, late at night, or now it's the classic role reversal of me. Honestly, for me, not even late at night. This is like normal midday hours for my usual sleeping pattern. That's neither here nor there. And you just away. Hmm. I'm cruising on a solid three hours and 45 minutes sleep. Yeah, the queen went and died while you were trying to go to bed, so that probably was a little difficult. Yeah, I was in mourning. Mm, and now you're in mourning. Ah! Thank you. That that does not deserve that large a reaction, but thank you. It's the first time that joke's ever been made, so... No one has ever compared the words mourning into mourning. No. I've invented comedy, some might say. What's the story, Morning Glory? It's, it's quite sad, usually. There's not much glory associated with mourning. The Queen saw the disappointment of the 2004 World X Cup, and she lasted a while, but eventually it, it finally overwhelmed her. I still like the theory that it was NXT UK keeping her alive. <laughs> oh no, you see, all of the events in the UK are cancelled for, I think it's nine days. I think it's actually kind of at the discretion of the event. But she was like, I've got to let WWE Clash at the Castle get over the line. God, it would have been so based if Clash of the Castle couldn't have happened. It would be very funny. In a week of pro-wrestling chaos, that would have really thrown some chaos into the pro-wrestling. The crown jewel of the chaos. That's a different show, actually. <laughs> yeah. They should cancel that in respect. Mm, I think that's fair. But that's it. Nothing else has happened in wrestling. <laughs> Other than the death of the Queen and maybe the death of all elite wrestling, anything else going on with you? I'm going to defer to one big dick Nick Khan. And, mm-hmm. you know, with his theory of no one cares if you're tired, so don't talk about it. Right. And I'm going to put that on the rest of my life and say, if there's nothing, no one cares, so just don't say it. Are you tired, Liam? Nope. Oh, good. I care if you're tired, Liam. I'm concerned about your well-being. Well, good. <laughs> uh, you've been doing anything, talking about anything, talking to anybody in the now month again since we last recorded? No. Well, it's not a month since we last recorded. We've had Patreon shows in between, but it is the month since main shows for the second month in a row. But we, we, we do only have one more month of an absurd amount of TNA content to cover in each episode. As I have referred to them, hell month. 
but yeah, Liam has, is calling this the hell period of NWATNA, where once mm. again, we have nine episodes of television to talk about, while four pay-per-views and five episodes of television, which is slightly less than the five pay-per-views and four episodes of television we had last time. It'll never be worse than this. The show quality may drop, but it's not going to be 50 hours. Well, when they go to two-hour impacts, it's going to be... No, it even won't still be that long with two-hour impacts. So you're right. In terms of the amount we'll have to cover, it will never be worse than this. Mm. So, you know, just really, like, really holding out, trying to survive. Actually, now that I do the math, there is the, the four or five months in 2010 where they have TNA reaction. So that's another hour onto each week of impact. TNA reaction. We're watching every second of TNA reaction. And people have suggested we do it as like a Patreon standalone. And it, it doesn't really work because a lot of like the first segments of reaction is like the, the end of the main event of the actual episode of Impact. So it doesn't really work to cover it by itself. But we will cover it when we get to 2010. Speak for yourself. Hey, you, you will want to see the Young Bucks versus, sorry, Generation Me, versus the Motor City Machine Guns in an empty arena match. No, I won't. I can almost guarantee I won't want to watch any content. But you're the content fiend. Yeah, for good stuff. You're Mr. Con. You watch Marvel shows. You watch She-Hulk. And that is an abomination. Pardon the pun. I got to watch She-Hulk twerk. Whoa. I hate that show. It's pretty lit. I detest that show with like a deep seething burning passion. I hate it more than I've hated anything in a long time. I don't hate it, but I understand why you do. It's just, I just, I just hate every, every line out of every character's mouth is either exposition or quip. And I just want to strangle all of them because they're not characters. They're not people. I just want to strangle all these non-human beings. It seems like an accurate representation of She-Hulk. <laughs> well, it's a bad character then. Uh, a character who exists almost entirely to troll everybody. She's trolling my life watching these bad freaking 25-minute quote-unquote comedies that have no jokes. Nah, I like the one where she turned to the audience and was like, ah, this isn't one of those cameo shows and then listed every cameo that's been in the show. I went, ha ha. Ha, ha, ha. That was, pretty, that, was, that was pretty good, She-Hulk. I, just, in general, I'm so over, like, meta self-awareness. Well, I'm sorry, we're never not gonna get that with She-Hulk. I'm sorry, make her a different character. I'm so no! over it. <laughs> you can't make her a different character. Then don't make She-Hulk. Yes, you can also do that. But I'm so over these, like, nudge-nudge, wink-wink, we're not serious about ourselves. Well, I'm, like, so far beyond that. Just make the thing and be the thing. Garrett, Stop having to poke Garrett holes at being the thing. Deadpool and is like, why is he making all the jokes? Yeah, I'm like, shut the fuck up, Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> why does he keep talking? He never shuts up. Yep, that's the character. <laughs> And now the problem is, like, every fucking MCU lead has to be Deadpool. They just never shut up. Whether it's dumbass Moon Knight guy, whether it's She-Hulk, they just hey, keep mom. talking and te- keep quipping. And then I watch Bullet Train, <laughs> and you get Brad Pitt doing what is 
essentially a Deadpool-like <laughs> performance. And I can't escape it, Liam. I can't just go see things or watch things without being like, <laughs> jokes, and not even good jokes. I like jokes. Why can't they write jokes? Being self-aware and going, the thing we did is bad. That's not a joke. That's just lazy writing. Wow, guys, <laughs> what kind of a podcast is this? Why, 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 I mean, he's really yelling about. <laughs> so we are talking about the month that was July <laughs> wow. 2004. Clunky transition. Straight pivot. July 04. It's, um, how are you feeling about July, Liam? Tell me. I'm not. You have no feelings about July? It's a very, again, this company is so stuck in a rut. It's so stuck. I don't even, like, have a negative feeling. There's just none. I was particularly watching that last show, the last pay-per-view, and I was just like, there's none of this that is particularly bad, but there's also none of this that is particularly good. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. It's not a show that you can get excited about. Even, like, one of the things you think you would be excited about is, like, we have Triple X back as a babyface tag team. And I don't know, they're super boring. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't, like, mean anything. They're not having good matches. They're meant to be building to AMW, but they're babyfaces, and AMW are babyface, and they do eventually just turn Triple X heel. I think that's a better move, and they're better heels. But there's, like, little babyface Triple X reunions doing nothing for me. I, I like like the this Raven and Sabu stuff's a nice little program. I think the X Division stuff is pretty good this month with Shane and Kazarian and it's AJ. I think that's a nice little story. Nah. Oh, the heavyweight scene is just death. It's just pure death. Other than Monty's promos, which are great. Yeah, well, at least um, AJ escaped. <laughs> yeah, he's having nice little X Division matches against Kazarian and Michael Shane. But like, I don't know. This is not a company that feels like it rewards you for investment in it. Anyway. How so? Like, I don't know. I feel like there's no payoff to actually caring about anyone, ever. Well, you did have the Naturals against AMW Cage match, which was pretty much the only story that ran through this month that was actually paid off in some way. Yeah, but, like, the payoff was the Naturals getting, like, a cheap upset win. (laughs) Designed to send them into a feud with Triple X and AMW into a feud with Team Canada. So it wasn't even like a satisfying this is an end point. It was more we're actually going to split these teams off into different directions. But also it's like I don't feel like you can get invested in any character on this show because it's just going to end with wee woo wee woo guitar hit. (laughs) I think the most egregious one of those is like they have the big Jeff Hardy signing segment which we'll get into. But, like, Jeff Hardy signs, it's a big deal, he's going to be number one contender. And that segment, that still ends with Jared hitting Hardy with a guitar. Because, God forbid, there be anybody who's popular on this show who doesn't eat a guitar shot from Jeff Jarrett constantly. Yeah. I mean, like, I just don't care enough to get, like, mad about it. Mm. It's just, it feels like this roadblock that's always there. So you're saying it's not a situation with me and She-Hulk. Well, I, that, I don't think that was a thing worth getting mad about either, but <laughs> that's on you? I guess it is. Alright, we'll get into all that as we get into the shows, but we'll start with the news. Starting with the one and only TNA appearance of one Dennis Rodman. Yeah, and what an appearance it was. He looked bored. Yeah, so the first episode of the month, the first impact of the month, July 2nd, the main event was Team Canada versus the Three Live Crew. And notable was Dennis Rodman came out with the Three Live Crew. 
and and that that's it that's all he did he just walked out with them and sat in the crowd and did nothing and like they cut their shots of him as you said looking tremendously bored at all of this which to be fair he was watching a tree life crew match so of course he was bored but uh, yeah good good appearance for rodman here i mean yep <laughs> so Dennis Rodman was a big letdown uh, for TNA management. Last night at the tapings, he arrived with a posse of only two agent-like men in slacks and button-up shirts. That's very descriptive of the PW Torch. <laughs> you were describing yeah. how, how Dennis Rodman's posse is dressed. Wade was like, I need the detail to the button. I want to know how Kenny Omega was dressed when he was running the dog out of the room. Um, I'm assuming it was some sort of Resident Evil t-shirt and shorts. So they, he arrived in plenty of time for walkthroughs of his, his angle, but he refused to go along with anything suggested. Rodman turned down the initial request of, guess what, taking a guitar shot from Jeff Jarrett. I mean, why not at that point? Yeah, just eat it. You're not going back. The only reason he apparently did it was like Jarrett and Rodman shared an agent for appearances, so it was kind of a favor. It didn't cost them that much money by all accounts. But yeah, just eat the guitar shot. No, no, he said no. I don't blame him for not wanting to eat the guitar shot, considering half the time they're, like, not worked guitars and people just die. Jared's just shooting, busting people open with all these guitars, so he's just like, no. Jared, again, I'm a big purveyor of swiveling the guitar and just hitting it with the side instead. (laughs) Jared wasn't willing to take a guitar shot from Rodman either, unless Rodman agreed to be part of an ongoing TNA storyline, which Rodman said no to. So the focus was shifted toward the Team Canada versus Trail K main event. They asked Rodman to go after Demore with a hockey stick, and Rodman said no to that too. So he ended up just sitting at ringside and talking to the TNA ring girls. Afterwards, some fans heckled Rodman for not doing anything. He did not seem excited to be there, says one TNA wrestler. He's a strange guy. I like the implication that he's strange because he doesn't want to do a TNA shot. <laughs> Well, no, he's done the TNA shot. He just doesn't want to do anything at his TNA shot. Yeah, but it's like, I don't know. Did you expect Dennis Rodman to be like, fuck yeah, this is the highlight of my week? (laughs) I want to do a match with AMW. Let me bleed inside six sides of steel. Yeah, add me to AMW. Make me the fourth member. Yeah, Dusty, Rodman, Harrison Storm. The best stable in wrestling history. I mean, it would be up there, wouldn't it? A lot of wrestlers were upset about Rodman refusing to do anything. Some, being almost half serious, started egging Shamrock to go on down to the ring and just scare the hell out of him because of his attitude displayed backstage and in front of the people. So they wanted like Shamrock to go down and shoot on Dennis Rodman. That's awesome. As it was, he got there, sat at the Spanish announce desks, flirted with some women and wasn't over to begin with. Yeah, there was also no reaction for Rodman. People did not give a shit at even him walking out. Yeah, well, you know... I, the, the bloom is off the rose at this point for Dennis Rodman, right? Yeah, we are firmly in, like, post-late career Rodman. There is some, like, talk about him, I think, signing with... I can't remember what the team was, but it was, I don't think, even particularly taken seriously then. This is... Rodman's career is done, and he's not particularly relevant in the mainstream anymore. It must be, like, very difficult from being so rich and so famous to being, like, a regular guy. <laughs> yeah, you go from a guy who is probably, like... I don't know, top 10 most well-known sports star of the 90s to a guy who's, like, weirdo, washed, making peace in North Korea, dude. Yeah, right. It's quite the transition. That has to mess with people, for sure. 
Mm. There's no way like that leaves you well adjusted, and especially for a guy who wasn't well adjusted in the first place. Yeah, and especially like an athlete who like, if you're an actor, you can get a new role that chases the high. Yeah, like acting completely different. An athlete, it's like it's all on your body. And once that's done, you're just done as, like, a, a relevant guy, unless you're, like, one of the truly transcendent people, which Rodman isn't quite. Well, maybe in seven years, he can go sign with another basketball team. He can come in, and he can be like, <laughs> I'm so different, I'm a locker room leader, I'm here to help the next generation of basketball player. And then, like, a year after that, when a bunch of those younger basketball players aren't listening to him, he can turn into an insane person. Burn it all to the ground. Mm. Seems like a good arc for Dennis Rodman. Yep, for Dennis Rodman. For (laughs) Chicago's son, Dennis Rodman. For Chicago-made Dennis Rodman. You know, he does have a reputation for being a punk. Hmm... Fans were chanting Rodman's worthless Adam and he was managing the baby faces. And they were correct. According to those who know Rodman, he got there and thought, what have I got myself into? Since the only people that he even recognized, and he's a wrestling fan, were Jarrett, Shamrock, and Conan. Maybe he's just not a good wrestling fan. He's not watching his Ring of Honor tapes. Oh, I love the idea of Dennis Rodman sitting down and watching, like, ROH tapes. He's like, he's like, man, I gotta watch Kabashi Joe. <laughs> He's loving his Alex Shelley, his embassy tapes. I'm doing the embassy sign. Thank you. And so is Dennis Rodman. Yeah. Well, aren't we going to look fools about questioning his fandom when he's going to be listening to this podcast? Hey, Dennis Rodman, if you're listening, come talk to us about this very random one-off TNA appearance. Yeah, we won't pay you. TNA announced that its Wednesday night pay-per-views would no longer be carried by DirecTV, (laughs) the nation's top home. Satellite Sorry. service. <laughs> Liam is celebrating the demise of the Wednesday night pay-per-views. Neither TNA nor DirecTV are commenting about the negotiations to get the pay-per-views back on the home satellite systems menu. Last week's TNA pay-per-view was the first pay-per-view not available. That was the first one in July. TNA released a statement that TNA's pay-per-views would not be available on DirecTV this month and possibly longer. PW Torch broke the news last week that In Demand is in charge of the distribution of TNA's pay-per-views and negotiated a two-year contract no! with TV. Which expired on June 30th. Yes! So there's some, like, pay-per-view company versus pay-per-view company politics where in-demand has distribution rights, but DirecTV want them, so they don't want to deal directly with a competitor, which is uh, in-demand, rather than taking it from TNA. So there, there's some politics at play here, but, yeah, the, the they're not being carried by DirecTV as of, the June 30, as of June 30th, as of the first show of July, basically. The biggest point of contention between DirecTV and TNA is that that DirecTV management does not like going through in demand, which distributes TNA. Their opinion is that you come direct or you don't come at all, explained Ah, one source. Ah, that's their name. Got him. There are also rumors that TNA failed to reach the number of buys guaranteed in their last DirecTV contract, which given the rumblings are that the pay-per-views draw from these six to seven thousand a week, uh, that's probably true. Mm Mm-hmm. They lost uh, those Australian, those Australian papes. Oh yeah, the the weird airing six months behind, which actually happens again this month. We'll talk about that in a second. This time it's in Canada rather than Australia. Wow, if only they had Canadian stars to push. 
from the Wrestling Observer, the last real numbers we got from UFC indicated 25% of the orders came from DirecTV Homes and boxing has been as high as 33%. TNA pay-per-view numbers are believed to be in the six to 7,000 per week range, so it would be losing about twelve to 1,800 homes per week or about 4,800 to 7,200 per week in terms of revenue. This comes at the same time the budget for promotion has increased tremendously due to producing and paying for weekly television tapings on top of the weekly pay-per-views. That's not a lot of money. No, and when you think about the amount it costs to produce a live pay-per-view on a Wednesday, fly that entire production down to Orlando on a Thursday and produce a one-hour television program to turn around for the Friday, you can see how this company, perhaps not in a very good financial position right now. I think it's going to work out. Garrett, that is my prediction. TNA will survive. It's a bold prediction. They said we wouldn't last a week. <laughs> They said we wouldn't last a month. They said we wouldn't last a year. But look at us doing terrible on pay-per-view. But surviving. Mm. What's the demo numbers, <laughs> Garrett? Give me the demo. <laughs> well, they're doing a point like two to point three in terms of their overall rating. So I'd imagine their demo numbers is probably, a, I don't know, I don't know what the, it's probably about a third based on 2022 numbers. I don't know what the percentage of young people watching television was in 2004. So their demo numbers are tiny. <laughs> TNA got major good news this week as negotiations with Dish Network were finally completed, making it the last pay-per-view provider to come on board and carry the show. That is, unfortunately, as they lost a different one. <laughs> the Dish Network is believed to cover about 8 million homes, and if the new homes do as well as the existing homes, the deal should. And for some reason, it doesn't usually work out as good as it should in paper. Add about 12% to the buys. So I like the way Dave kind of throws, or, or I like the way PW Torch kind of throws sass. It's like, it should add this amount. But for some reason, it doesn't. Maybe because no one wants to buy these shows. I like that um, you saw Sass and assumed it was Dave. Yeah, it's natural, isn't it? Especially in parentheses. That's what Dave usually does. That is a staple. Um, I like that I only recognize the names of these pay-per-view providers from TW. Ah, which did you usually try and get on, Liam? I feel like it's in demand. So you're in line with TNA. You're fine. I think in demand is usually the easiest one. And the mm. Dish Network is maybe the second most easy to get. And these DirecTV people are playing hardball even in video games. Yeah, but um, they're all basically the one you get eventually. Mm. You, you can only take your pick. So TNA is still off DirecTV, which is bigger than Dish. So their overall homes are still down, even with the addition of Dish. The addition. I was going to gonna do the thing, but I moved on. But thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't gonna. Let, I can't let a very easy, simple, bad pun go. I respect you for it. The company is hopeful to be back on DirecTV in August, at which point they would be available on almost 54 million homes on pay-per-view, and they will draw 53 of them. <laughs> people, I mean. Hey, they have like 1,200 people at all their shows. Fair enough. Like. Two, three, four hundred are paying, but they have twelve hundred people there. You know what? The company's perfectly healthy. I take it back. Wrestlers are complaining about co-booker Dutch Mantel again. They say that he is stubborn and insists that things be done his way. Hmm. You can't mm. even suggest anything to him. One wrestler said. A second wrestler mm. said that Mantel and TNA officials seem to have the "take your money, keep your mouth shut, or we'll leave you home" attitude. 
Well, you know what? That's a good <laughs> attitude, maybe, that people should have. Others pointed out that he seems paranoid and that he won't let anyone spend too much time talking with Jeff Jarrett before he sticks his nose in, though it's also possible that Jarrett has asked him to run interference on his behalf. Either way, Mantell is one of the least popular authority figures in the TNA dressing room. Do you think Tony should bring in Dutch Mantell to be his bad guy? I wonder, is that like what Jeff is doing here? It's like, just be my bad guy. Interrupt if some dude is talking to me. Say no to them. Because every wrestling company does, like, traditionally it's the head of talent relations is the bad guy. It's always the guy set up for the fall. Uh, except when they're really horrible people, which is perhaps the case in John Laurinaitis's. But for the most part, we have wrestling companies need someone to say no. And it's not usually the, the CEO owner because they need to create, like, cultivate relationships with these people and then work with them. So you just have someone below you just constantly say no. What do you feel about that role? Would you think it's a necessary role in pro wrestling, or do you think it's maybe antiquated? The dude who says no? Yeah. The bad guy. The guy that, like, hey, when these people go do their podcasts... I was going to say shoot interviews, but it's podcasts now, for sure. And Mm -hmm. they go on there, once you get canned, this is the person you badmouth. I think, like, it's a... Well, it's not a noble role. It's an innoble role in a lot of ways. But, yeah, I think you do. Because, like, wrestlers are, are babies... And they will always get mad. And I think you should always have someone they can get mad at so that you can maintain a good relationship with them while still being the puppet master. I think it's like, you, you almost don't need it in any other role, like any other business. But wrestling is like a weird hybrid of talent meets opinion. Mm-hmm. And w- when people perceive their talent to outweigh the, the response they're getting from someone and someone's opinion, there's inherently going to be like resentment there. And that's not really something you get in many other industries. Because with sport, it's like, if you're the best at it, you're just going to succeed regardless. Mm. And if it's acting or something, it's like, if you're really good at it, you'll succeed at it. But with wrestling, it's like, even if you're like the best at the wrestling in the company, there's no guarantee that you'll get the push that reflects that. And it's funny, like, even during the pandemic, when Vince McMahon was firing a, frankly, absurd number of people... There was the constant, like, oh, but Vince loved me. It's, just, it's like, no, he didn't. He fired you. Well, it's because, like, it, it was Lauren. And then, like, he had two Fall Guys. Because from mm. the wrestling perspective, he had Lauren Itis to take the heat. And then from the fan perspective, they all blamed Nick Khan. Yeah. When isn't it funny that a bunch of people that were fired under Vince have been returned under Nick Khan? Yeah. And they're all doing so much. Yeah, your big Dexter Loomis cage match stairs. Who doesn't love that? Yeah, on the, the very good wrestling show, Monday Night Raw, that everyone loves now. On the topic of vacant stairs into the distance, observers say it appears that Vince Russo has basically given up trying to convince Jeff Jarrett to make booking changes. He just doesn't care anymore, noted one wrestler, who also said he couldn't blame Russo for developing that attitude. Oh, well, maybe just do your role, man. I I hate him in his role so maybe don't do that either (laughs) although he's not like all over the show anymore there is less of him so i don't i haven't mind russo because i basically like he doesn't do anything important (laughs) he's still doing that thing where every time he's on camera he looks like the most conflicted sad man on earth and i want to punch him i think that's just his real life attitude coming through (laughs) Yeah, there's a moment on the last impact where that we'll talk about he has a big feud with Dusty basically going on, and Dusty's shouting at him, and Russo just has his head on his hands leaning on a table. And it's like this dude has given up. This dude does not care about this anymore. I mean, wouldn't you be in the same position if Dusty was like reaming you out? 
I think it's supposed to be like a character thing, but you can tell this man is just checked out of this now, isn't he? Yeah. I don't blame him. He's not even getting his wacky, dumb ideas on TV anymore. He occasionally gets favors called in, like Vito is a favorite to Vinnie Rue, but also Vito's not very good on these shows either, so... They should have vetoed him. Ah. <laughs> there is a, a lot of AAA drama going on this month, because Hector Garza quit working for AAA about three weeks ago, and it's caused some tension between AAA promoter Antonio Pena and Jeff Jarrett. Because Jarrett wants to continue booking Garza. He wants to continue booking Garza as a, a relatively pushed act. I know they were actively seeking a work permit for him this month. Rather than having him come across the border illegally and maybe perhaps getting caught. So that causes political tensions with AAA who's let him go. Jarrett was also upset that Peña didn't send the specific mini wrestlers he had requested for the anniversary show. Garza added fuel to the fire by telling Jarrett that one of the reasons he was quitting was that Peña was late on paying the AAA wrestlers the money that owed them from working in TNA and Japan. Peña has travelled down to Impact to meet with Jarrett. It was reported that meeting seemed to go well, and then the next week it was like, nah, actually it didn't. They're on pretty bad terms with Hector Garza kind of sitting in the middle of this AAA and, and TNA political drama. So Antonio Peña is like, it's either me or it's him, and you'll have to make a choice. Uh, Antonio Peña and Hector Garza got into a brawl at the backstage <laughs> where Hector Garza was reported to be focused on saving Antonio Pena's dog mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um, also Hoovy. <laughs> you know we always talk about the influence of NWATNA and it's it's just uncanny this month isn't it <laughs> well you know well we're really forcing it here but later on Kid Catch returns from suspension after like a work shoot so <laughs> Uh, I think, like, we don't see a lot of AAA guys, so I think basically this ultimately ends up being a lot of AAA guys don't show up anymore, and Gareth is a a full-time top guy for a while until he's suddenly not. I don't know, we were talking about how, like, on the watch-along, about how these AAA guys had kind of, you know, been around and been a a prominent focus of both TV and the pay-per-views for way longer than we had expected, you know? Yeah, because it's, it's mostly Mr. Aguilar and Abismo Negro at this stage, but they're both still like on TV and on pay-per-view pretty regularly throughout July. I don't know. I, I guess I didn't come into this expecting it to be as prevalent as it was. Didn't expect to see that much Mr. Aguilar? No. I saw a lot of Mr. Aguilar. <laughs> Perhaps more of Mr. Aguilar than you wanted to. Mm. Hoovy has been trying desperately to get booked in TNA. Hoovy ruffled feathers throughout his last run by doing everything from not protecting wrestlers to working stiff with younger wrestlers to complaining about doing jobs. Mm. Pena pushed Jarrett to use Hoovy on Thursday, so don't be surprised if he's given yet another chance. He's not. I mean, listen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was going to make a joke that I shouldn't. Um, <laughs> like, we're, we're doing like very tongue-in-cheek stuff, and it was just more of a blatant <laughs> reference. <laughs> For every negative thing we've had about Hoovy, he also has rocked at every case. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, in a show that isn't producing much good wrestling, maybe having a good wrestler would have been fun. Because he had that real good match with Jerry Lynn. He had that real good match with Teddy Hart. He had that, frankly, fantastic match against Chris Saban. Then the other good match against Chris Saban. And that, even that uh, four on four, the, the, the main event of the first America's X Cup tag, which was mostly built around Hoovy, match also rocked. Yeah. Hoovy's really good. He's just kind of a shithead. Mm. That's a lot of pro wrestlers. Yep. 
TNA remains interested in pairing ECMO and Ring of Honor champion Samoa Joe as a tag team, but ECMO's asking price is beyond what TNA is willing to pay. It's the ECMO asking price that's the problem in that situation. <laughs> that's my dream team. It's not likely that Samoa Joe would work for TNA if he were not portrayed as a world champion level wrestler. It would be too damaging to ROH if Joe were to show up in TNA in, this is PW Torch's quote, a silly Samoan tag team, 80s gimmick, working the second match on the pay-per-view and losing to Glingleberti and Johnny Swinger. Well, first of all, PW Torch. Mm. That wouldn't even make sense. Glengilberti is on the fucking, what's it called? The list where, like, they get fired. The gut check list. Yeah, Glengarry's on the gut check list, and his story is that he isn't winning, so you wouldn't even know that, PW Torch. Yeah, watch the product, Wade. Yeah, Wade. I do find it interesting that TNA were looking to pair Joe and ECMO, but when, when, you know, when uh, Samoa Joe and Umaga were on TV at the same time, there was a lot of comparisons between the two. Very similar pro wrestlers. <laughs> There was once a, a WWE.com article that referred to Umaga as not some average Joe, which was very clearly like a sideswipe at Samoa Joe. Well, that's weird. I don't know why I remember that. That's just like a random thing from oh, 2006. Oh, you don't know why you remember random nonsensical TNA lore? <laughs> Shall I explain it to you? It is my sole role on Earth, if you really think about it, but... Yeah. If you are the guy to remember exactly that. Mm. ESPN Canada has reached a deal with TNA to begin airing the TNA pay-per-view series on a weekly basis, starting with its first show in June 2002, not July 2002, as PW Torch has it here. Again, Wade, get your act together. Shake my damn head. So it's a TNA Classic series airing show by show, except two years in the past. What's funny is they don't have pay-per-view clearance in Canada, but they have this. Mm. I mean, it's something, I guess. And apparently the, like, 30-second promo for it was, like, all the current stuff. And it's like, nope, we're going back to O2. Which I guess Shamrock is there both times. So is AJ. So is Jarrett. Yeah. Uh, we get to do this rant for a second month in a row. The the mid-card wrestlers are complaining about the wrestlers the company is pushing and their reasons for pushing those wrestlers. The general perception is in the locker room is that AJ Styles is Dixie Carter's favorite, the Naturals in America's Most Wanted are Bob Ryder's boys, and Abyss and Monty Brown are Dutch Mantel favorites. The frustrated wrestlers say they can understand why the company is pushing some of those wrestlers, particularly Styles, but they also feel that TNA is about who you know and not how much money you can draw. I would like to know two things based on that statement, that paragraph I just read. One, who are the people who think they can draw more than AJ, AMW, Monty, or Abyss? And two, who are the people who, who should be pushed ahead of those acts in this company right now? Well, listen, I personally feel like, you know, AJ Styles, one of these guys who's never done anything in the business. Mm-hmm. Um, I would refer empty to headed him as idiot, a fucking empty-headed say. dumb fuck. <laughs> and, um... <laughs> uh, I am increasingly reading all of these backstage notes in the voice of Dengelberti. I'm reading him backstage in the voice of CM Punk. <laughs> <laughs> yes, stop it. Stop it. Like, the people they named are, the like, the good people in this company. <laughs> Stop Yeah, it. the people that I enjoy watching every month. 
Not the fucking Pat Kenny match we all have to suffer through. Not the endless Glenn Gilberti, NYC, Mike Posey, David Young nonsense we have to suffer through. Like, if Raven's having a whine about it, then sure. Mm. But that's about it. And he's been injured. That's the reason he's been off TV. Yeah, I don't know. It's, um, stupid. Like, my bias shows, but maybe Chris Sabin is, like, one of the few people who's, like, was pushed but isn't really doing anything at the moment. I think Alex Shelley should be pushed more, personally. Well, he only just debuted and he's all over TV, so he can't be given out. Yeah, he's getting the, like, X Division, um, shiny new toy push. Mm. In, like, three months, don't worry, he'll he'll be nothing. (laughs) He'll be in the red and Sabin corner, just sitting there. With Sabin and, um... Frankie for a bit there. At least Frankie's making a comeback. Yeah, Frankie Frankie, and uh, Michael Shane are all over these shows. Like, they they have plenty of TV time. And they finally got their cool gear. Yeah, I love Frankie's music too. I'm upset when, like, I know Michael Shane's music is infamous for the Bentley Bounce, but without the actual Bentley Bounce, I'm more interested in the Frankie Kazarian music. I find it very hard not to call him Matt Bentley for some reason. You clearly, like, he's been, you've been watching a year of him being Michael Shane at this stage. I know, but he's just Matt Bentley to me, you know? You know what's going to happen? The exact moment it switches in your brain is the exact moment it'll change the Matt Bentley. Yeah, but then the Bentley bounce. I'm doing it! What's your favorite wrestling-based, like, dance move? The Shira Shuffle. You can't get close. Mm, I'm doing that right now, too. The most iconic TNA dance. I would um, counteract it with the Jeff Hardy. Oh yes, the the gyrating. What else is there? What's what are other famous wrestling dances? Oh, the Curry Man. I'm a big fan of the Curry Man. Oh yeah, that's a good one. Mm. I'm doing I'm doing all of them as we mention them. <laughs> is TNA the only dance company? Has any other company? I'd say Three Count is a big one. Yeah, they had a literal dance routine. Every um, like every Joshi company. <laughs> <laughs> there was like a 12 minute dance and singing performance at the start of Rinka King had like a 12 minute dancing and singing performance yeah there you go I think no, one, no one's really doing the dancing anymore Ron Killings he always did his like splits dance yeah but like that's not one that you're doing along as you're watching <laughs> yeah I don't think most of us are athletic enough to do the Ron Killings that's part of the push you know mm. there's gonna be one that we're missing and someone's gonna add us and we're going to be like, ah. All right, everyone. That's your fucking podcast request of the week. <laughs> At us with a gif of your favorite wrestling dance move. I was going to say Fandango, but that's more just the theme song than the dance. No, that's the point. Do, 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 do. All right. So Fandango counts. So don't add us with Fandango. Add us with other ones. Yeah. Any, um, any other ones? TNA officials are strongly considering the idea of moving the company office to Orlando and pulling the Wednesday night pay-per-views from Nashville. I'm crying. Tears of pure joy. The company is also once again giving strong consideration to scrapping the weekly pay-per-view format in favor of airing traditional monthly pay-per-views. Jeff Jarrett remains opposed to the idea of moving out of his home state of Tennessee, but he may lose this battle because the company would save travel money by holding all of its shows in Orlando. The wrestlers do not give a shit. <laughs> yeah, the wrestlers don't seem to mind whether the shows are, are moved to Orlando, but are not crazy about the idea of running monthly pay-per-views, mostly because they lose three dates a month and be paid less. Well, personally, I think wrestlers are dumb. <laughs> you don't care about them getting paid. You care about watching less shows. Listen, A... This is 
2004, and my opinion on this matter literally affects nothing. Mm-hmm. And B, fuck off, I don't care, I don't want to watch them. Good. On the bright side, if it led to a significant increase in pay-per-view buys moving from uh, four monthly to one monthly, uh, it might increase their pay in the long run. There has also been talk of running house shows. One city that has been mentioned is possibly Pittsburgh, promoted locally by Shane Douglas. The franchise. <laughs> He's franchising TNA. Ah, I see what you did there. Uh. This does eventually come to a head. We do eventually reach the stage where they get rid of uh, weekly pay-per-views. There was a, a note from Dave that suggested July 21st might have been the last one. Oh, come on. Why? But, come uh, on. <laughs> you just want to go back in time and say, do it. Do it early. <laughs> I like how I, I was complaining about my opinion meaning nothing on 2004's stuff. But <laughs> like, I'm like, come on. Do it. <laughs> But we will have to wait until September until they formally move away from the weekly pay-per-view model. We're so close. We only have one more full month. We only have August, which is the full impact and pay-per-view month. And then there's two pay-per-views at the start of September before the end. Can I do a quick shout-out to someone? Sure. Shout-outs to William Regal. Okay. For just owning the Queen 24-7 right now. (laughs) (laughs) He just... At least a banger of a tweet that I would like Garrett to explain. I think it was going to get me cancelled reading William Regal's tweets. He did have to delete one already. Was that the one about the ears? Yes. Oh, he deleted that one? Uh. Alright, William Regal tweeted, X, rest well, my queen. You've been a part of my life since I was born. With an image of the queen walking away hand in hand with Paddington. With the caption, I've done my duties, Paddington. Please take me to my husband. (laughs) There's also one of her corgis walking with them. I like the people in the responses to this tweet. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry for your nation's loss. She was a masterpiece. (laughs) It's like losing your own nan. That's exactly how I felt today. Rest in peace, Queen Elizabeth. There is from Jushin Thunder Liger. I don't think the actual one. Oh, sorry, no, it's no, Jushin I'm gonna Thunder assume Luger. It is. No, it's Jushin Luger. That's uh, his, uh. his offshoot. With the, the reply, wait, Paddington died? <laughs> but, no, the implication there is that Paddington is like the River Sticks skeleton mm-hmm. who takes people through their, their transition to the afterlife. That and that would be, that would be awesome. <laughs> How cool would it be if Paddington was the fucking gatekeeper of hell? Yeah, you would never, you couldn't even get mad at it. Like you'd be okay with dying. Yeah, especially you'd be okay with going to hell. Awesome. All right, <laughs> that's it. Just wanted to talk a bit about that great tweet. There were no plans to bring back Johnny Fairplay. The company had been talking with an agent who represented a number of reality TV stars in the hopes of setting up opponents for Fairplay's reality TV challenge, but it doesn't sound like the company plans on following through on that idea. Fairplay's next wrestling gig will be in August when he works on an independent show in Ohio that's being promoted by Sharkboy. Hell yeah, Shark. I like that idea that Sharkboy and Johnny Fairplay are just like besties backstage. Yeah, Sharkboy knows the value of Johnny Fairplay. Also, like, Sharkboy's the one guy who's willing to talk to him or something. I, I'm pretty sure that aired this month, right? The Johnny Fairplay reality TV challenge? Who cares? Yeah. Where he did throw out a challenge to a any reality star to come to Impact. And it, it seems like they're like, nah, it's not worth it, Fairplay, go home. It's a shoot. Just no one responded. 
<laughs> Wouldn't that be a great bit if he did throw out that open challenge and everyone was just like, nah. So that would be a good, like, gimmick if every week he, like, challenged a different entertainment series with the intent that no one would ever actually respond. Mm. Challenges, like, a f- any football player. Then he's like, any boxer. And then he's like, any actor. And just no one. And he's like, I'm undefeated. 4-0 against every industry. And then finally building to the return of Dennis Rodman, who faces Johnny Fairplay. You know, it's, I hate to say it, but I think I take Johnny Fairplay over Dennis Rodman because Johnny Fairplay at least seems to care. I thought you meant just in general in a fight, and I was like, no. <laughs> I would also take Johnny Fairplay over Dennis Rodman in a fight, to be fair. Do you, do you really think Johnny Fairplay would beat Dennis Rodman in a fight? No, I think it meant that I'd have to fight them. <laughs> I thought, yeah. I don't think I'd win either way, but I think I think I could. I'd have a better chance against the Johnny Fairplay. I think you'd beat Johnny Fairplay in a fight. I don't know. He he strikes me as a scrappy fella. Hmm. But so am I. We do know that he is willing to go to every low imaginable to win anything. But ironically, he's like very fair when in a fight. Hmm. He's just like, no, I will fight with dignity and honor. Mm. Yeah, I would slap him with my glove and challenge him to a duel at sunrise. No, you see, you just start fighting, and then his, his grandma would start biting you. And... <laughs> um. Well, you know what, Garrett? Uh huh. This is my reality television challenge to Johnny Fairplay. Oh, fucking fight me! Do a celebrity boxing match against Johnny Fairplay. Yep, coming soon to. Whatever that big YouTube boxing show was. Yeah, it's going to be the Jake Paul Anderson Silva fight. It's going to be on the undercard of that, actually. Oh, sweet. <laughs> Liam Jones versus Johnny Fairplay. Yeah. Well, Johnny Fairplay, uh, actually, nice and responds to, to us, so. Mm. <laughs> but I'll fucking whoop his ass for ratings, baby. <laughs> this is classic. It was like, like blurring the lines between a work and a shoot. Fairplay, uh, this is all just me working for the fight. I'm just trying to get people interested in the fight, you know. Afterwards, we can hug. <laughs> Please don't show up to my locker room. Or any locker room, really. Just stay away. You're out. <laughs> James Sinister Minister Mitchell was backstage at Impact Tapings in Orlando. Mitchell told friends that he was there to meet with Jeff Jarrett. He did eventually meet behind closed doors with Jarrett, but left the building before the tapings. Mitchell lives in the Orlando area and is still under contract to TNA, but hasn't been used... Pretty much for the entirety of 2004. Yeah, but, um, you know, he's in Orlando, so you might as well use him. Yeah, his, his the team he was managing got their ass kicked in a fight, and suddenly they got dumped and Mitchell hasn't been seen since. Yeah, they were stripped of the trio's championships. <laughs> but yeah, Mitchell, we'll see him again toward the end of the year. I wonder who he possibly could be managing. Goldilocks. Ooh, that'd be cool. The third week's ratings were a point two, which were down 41% from the prior week. But with numbers that small, these variations aren't that significant. After three weeks, the show was averaging a 0.25. Dixie Carter made the decision for the company not to release ratings anymore, which would tell you they weren't entirely doing well. Uh, Dave has ratings here for basically every episode from the end of June to the end of July. And basically, it hovers from like low point twos to mid point threes with occasionally dipping below that so they're they're doing okay they're good numbers for the time slot on fsn but it's not setting the world on fire mm. so i've been distracted mm-hmm. because seemingly seemingly apparently 
in a a weird mix <laughs> a weird mix of AEW influencing the world. Uh-huh. At backstage at the UFC, apparently a giant fight has broken out. <laughs> <laughs> Between the fighters, which has delayed the press conference. <laughs> well then. <laughs> they were like, my boy Kenny Omega's popping off so I can pop off too. <laughs> Was there any biting and or dogs in distress? Um, well, it's probably involving the Diaz brothers, so maybe. Mm. I, I cannot believe it. The world's just on fire, Liam. All the tensions are boiling over. And, and it, in, it may have happened after a press conference too, which is so funny. So for the second time in less than seven days, people just ran their mouth too much at a press conference, and then the world burns. Uh, except in like uh, a sign that the UFC will always be more based than all elite wrestling. They have. The fighters coming out and being like, yo, it's crazy back there. Everyone's fighting <laughs> like a motherfucker. As opposed to Jericho walking out with like the calmest face imaginable, despite knowing what he just saw. Yeah. Uh, I love Jericho in that interview too. Like a real underrated part. Because you can clearly tell he's seething. Mm. But he's like, I am the face of the locker room. I am the leader. I have to come out here and put on a brave face and answer these questions. And he'll just yuck it up and, like, laugh and have some fun and then tell Tony that his entire locker room is beating the shit out of each other and leave. <laughs> uh, again, like, another top section of that presser was just, like, as Tony's getting ready to leave, the dude just runs up to him and he's like, holy fucking shit, everything's going on, you have to get out of there. <laughs> I love how, like, Tony Storm snuck in, like, a burial lift on their Rosa and that's, like, the 19th thing that came out of that press conference. Yeah, well, the, the 19th thing that came out of that press conference was, like, Swerve and Keith Lee being like, you know, fuck the social media. <laughs> mm. Good stuff. So, yeah, impact ratings between, like, a low point two, mid point threes. How are you feeling about impact after two months? As a show? Mm-hmm. I, I actually was going to put over the last couple weeks of impact. Right. Because I thought, even though it has become, like, a squash match show... They're putting all the stars on it now, mm. and it looks nice, so I like it more. Because, like, you know, you're getting, like, Sabu now, you're getting Raven, you're getting Jared in the ring, every show, like, has AJ in it, you're getting, like, a pretty decent, like, all-star tag, so, I don't know, I'm, I don't think it's, like, a great show or anything, but it's easy to watch, and now they, they aren't, for some reason, just not putting the biggest stars on it. Yeah, it's usually in squash matches. You usually get a Monty match. Raven makes his debut this month. Jared has two matches this month against Sharkboy and Lex Lovett. I'm pretty sure we see that Lex Lovett match again. <laughs> oh, yeah. We said, like, Monty squashes basically everybody twice in TNA history. No, like, I think literally they play the same match. Oh, there, there is an episode of Impact later in the year that gets, like, derailed because of a hurricane. So they do air some matches again, which you might look forward to. I'm going to make you watch them yeah. twice. But Yeah, I'm pretty sure that is the match they use. Yeah, there's that, and there's like a Team Canada against Team Mexico, I think, six-man tag that they air twice. Which is funny, if you look at cage match, they have different times, even though they're the exact same match. They probably, like, cut some things out or something, edited them down. 
They're like it's only like four seconds in the difference. Yeah, but like they probably like removed a cut to break or something. Mm. So yeah, they, they talk, I think that's later, and I think it's like Septemberish where there there's that show where they couldn't take because of a hurricane. In an, a, an update and a continuation from everything, uh, the UFC have cancelled the press conference. Coward. I like to imagine someone ran up to Dana White and was like, "Hey, should I do backstage?" Just like Tony Khan was a coward for not bringing the Elite out there after CM Punk's rant. Well, I think the Elite were KO'd <laughs> at that point, so <laughs> I don't think they were going to be able to say a whole lot of anything. Matt or Matt Jackson with or Nick Jackson with his black eye, uh, Kenny with his finger hanging off, having been bitten off by a steel. Kenny, the Angel Omega, mm-hmm. hero of dogs, being attacked by the dog-faced gremlin himself. <laughs> I, like, I don't know. It's just fun, isn't it? Mm. Like, it's fun because it's not my company. That's true. (laughs) But, like, it is fun. No one died. That we know of. Nick got close, but Uh he pulled through. I don't know. I know what I'd be doing in this scenario. (laughs) There will be a meeting in Orlando regarding the NWA name. TNA signed a 10-year deal giving it the right to control the National Wrestling Alliance Heavyweight Championship and Tag Team Championships, even though TNA is not an NWA member. TNA called the meeting with the NWA to talk about the contract. At this point, they have dropped all references to the NWA name except for the two titles. I really think they should have just done their own titles from the beginning of TV. Just abandon the whole tradition and honor of the NWA. Have you never listened to a Dusty Rhodes promo? <sighs> but, you know, I just think it's important to establish your own things. Mm. And then in seven years, you can bring a guy in. <laughs> Rikishi isn't interested in going to <laughs> you TNA. You can bring Rikishi in. He was apparently told that when he was cut that as long as he doesn't go to TNA, they will bring him back at some point. Which I don't think they ever do. Big Kish? No, I don't think he does go back for anything more than just appearances. Which might be why he ended up going to TNA in 2007. Yeah. I, which is like one of the funniest all-time TNA debuts. Mm-hmm. Because you're watching it and you're like, yeah, they really were just like, anyone with a name. Because like it was around the same time as Test as well, so they're just like, sure. Oh, uh, listen, I will not have you talking shit about the Punisher, Andrew Martin. He's the most jacked-looking man on Earth. And a pivotal pro wrestler in my fandom as a child. Mm-hmm. Some Liam Law for you. You loved your Canadians, didn't you? I mean, yeah, I definitely had, like, a Canadian bias. I was like, because my, I think I've said this before, but, like, three of my top five favorite wrestlers as a kid were Christian Edge and Chris Jericho. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then you chuck, like, Eddie and RVD in there. Where does Test fall? Uh, Test was, like, in that era of ECW, because he had that one Royal Rumble 2007 match. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this guy rules! <laughs> he had that match where... Whose back was split over? Oh no, it was Bob Holly. Never mind. Was that against yeah, Test? Was, a, was it against Test? I know the image, but I, no, I'm not sure if what the match was. Bob Holly got his back split open on that table? Coming soon to the Patreon. WWE ECW. I actually thought about it. <laughs> yeah, but I only want to do 2008. No, you have to watch the bad stuff first before you get to it being like a nice little developmental show. Can we do NXT Redemption? I also thought about that. Because <laughs> we are wild and young. Not just Redemption, we're doing the full game show. Because like we're, we're nearly done with GFW. We only have one more of those to go on Patreon. And uh, Gleet doesn't have cheering yet, so we can't do that. 
And I was thinking maybe Wrestling Society X next, because that show is ridiculous. I would love to do Wrestling Society X. Alright, we'll nail it down now. We'll do Wrestling Society X after we do uh, GFW. There's 30-minute episodes, so we'll work out how many we'll do per episode. But I've also seen all of Wrestling Society X. I have it on DVD! So this will be the first time it'll be a show that I've actually seen. Mm, we will be revisiting something you deeply love. You get to see... It'll be the first and maybe only time in the history of this podcast I get to talk about one of my all-time favorite wrestlers. Masato Yoshino. Well, you'll have to wait and find out. Uh, Rikishi sent in feelers through intermediaries to TNA a month or two back when he was expected to be cut after getting the nasal surgery and taking more time off without letting the company know ahead of time. He's planning on cutting a record with a Christian record company. He's already talked about, besides all Japan, going to Mexico for CMLL. His price right now for dates is pretty high. I believe that. Rikishi getting himself paid. And, uh, fixing his nose. Good for him. Yeah. You big Rikishi guy? I enjoy him for what he is. He's probably, like, an underrated wrestler. He's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Because, like, people remember him as the ass guy. And he's actually a pretty solid worker. I remember him as the ass man. No, that's uh, the scissor me ass daddy. Oh, sorry. There is that, like, moment in the 2000 Royal Rumble, which is, like, an iconic Attitude Era moment, where, where Too Cool do the dance, and literally the entire building in Madison Square Garden are doing it with them. Yeah. they. Um, speaking of dances in pro wrestling. Oh, Too Cool. Uh, yeah, if you added us when we asked you to add us instead Too Cool, we remembered them. It only took us half an hour, so you were wrong to add us before you listened to the entire show. You know show. what it was, too? I did the dance, but didn't remember who it was. They made the yellow sunglasses seem so cool. You're looking fly today. <sighs> I was going to say the last wrestling show I saw had Scotty Too Hotty on it, but it didn't. The last wrestling show I saw was Clash at the Castle, so... Ah, uh, they should have put Scotty Too Hotty on it. They should have. He would have been good in that Roman Reigns main event. You've Got to Be Kidding Me is brought to you this week by HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. Have a pack scheduled this fall, or autumn, if you're in Europe. HelloFresh has meals covered with a weekly selection of 30-plus recipes and 70-plus convenience items, all delivered to your door. HelloFresh is here to make your hectic fall weeknights a little easier and a lot more delicious. Their quick and easy meals, including 20-minute meals, low prep, and easy cleanup options, take the stress out of mealtime with time-saving, no-fuss recipes ready in a snap. Go to HelloFresh.com VOW16 and use code VOW16 for 16 free meals across 7 boxes and 3 free gifts. That's HelloFresh.com slash VOW16, using the promo code VOW16. So you're always giving out to me. You're always oh, like, oh. in in their broad topics, when we're talking about what happened on these wrestling shows, you always leave Eric Watson Goldilocks the best of the rest. So, yep. because something very notable happens in the Goldilocks story this month, Liam, we're leading off with Goldilocks. Oh, hell yeah, you know. I'm glad Alex Shelley and Goldilocks are getting the respect they deserve after, you know, brutally and unfairly not getting the poster. Well, listen, they didn't deserve the poster, so... What the fuck? <laughs> you gave it to goddamn Chris Saban and he did nothing. The Six Sides of Steel got the poster. It's a historic match in TNA history. They've already done Six Sides of Steel once. 
No, they haven't. They've done a steel cage. Oh, yeah. This is the first time they've done a six sides of steel. And I get to say the word six sides of steel a lot. And I love the word, the way six sides of steel sounds. I can know, I know that all the listeners, they also would have preferred an Alex Shelley poster. You see, the thing is, because we are doing an episode a month, I sent Shannon a list of, like, here's posters up until February 2006. Work away. Actually, no, I think I went further than that. But I was like, you know, work away ahead on them because we're, we're behind. So uh, Shelley's in none of them. So <laughs> I demand an Alex Shelley face to be added. Uh, we can commission a, a separate Alex Shelley poster just for Shelley. Ooh, an Alex Shelley variant? Yeah. All right. Which we will release probably after the episode comes out, but we will do That's it. how we can hide the episode in two weeks between this one and the next one. The special Alex Shelley variant. The fans have demanded it. Yeah. They they uh, they tweeted us with hashtag at sign L. <laughs> what was the other? Remember his gear that used to have like the at sign at the start and then like an L and then it was, was it just EX or was it like a 3X? There was a weird symbol, I think. All right. Yeah. So everyone tweet us that. <laughs> So, Impact, number 5, July 2nd, 2004, we have the TNA Wrestling debut of Alex Shelley as he faces Elix Skipper. One of the most influential pro wrestlers of all time. Yeah, prime time. (laughs) Why must we fight? (laughs) You set me up for it, I'm sorry. I was very excited to see Alex Shelley, obviously. Like, this match was the one that I, like, I, I got excited for, and I was like, yeah, and then, like, it was kind of nothing, and I was like, oh. Mm. But then he had, like, the best match on every show since, so it's been fine. You have overrated every Alex Shelley this match this month. If, Whoa, if you, what the fuck? First of all, I've rated them perfectly. If you go to patreon.com slash kidding me, you can see our star ratings for every match this month, and you'll see, I think, every single Liam star rating for an Alex Shelley match is higher than mine. Except this one. Uh, so yeah, the Skipper beats Shelley, play of the day, Shane, Tracy, and Kazarian, whom I will call Shazarian from now on, even though I don't think they were ever formally dubbed Shazarian. I will call them Shazarian. Or at the Did top you call of the them <laughs> Add Tracy in there? Yeah. Sexist. She obviously deserves it. Chitrarian. <laughs> You're a chitrarian. With your chitrarian opinions. Mm. This is the match where I believe, maybe not the first time, but Don is like Skipper is the best ex guy to never win the belt, and by God, will he say that a lot? I don't know if that like actually puts someone over. <laughs> it kind of buries them. That's like, to be fair, Skipper's never really been a consistent X Division guy. They've always like dropped him back to tag teams, but still, yeah. Yeah, I don't have much to say about this match. I just like Alex Shelley. I just think he's neat, Marge mean. Yeah, Skipper won with the play of the day. Shelley signed with TNA on July 8th. Terms of the deal have not been disclosed. Shelley's been telling friends that he doesn't know if he'll be able to honor his Ring of Honor. Honor! No! <laughs> it turns out he does. It's basically like, while they still, there's still like issues with Alexa Styles and, and Daniels, they're just like, yeah, Shelley, just, just keep doing it. It's fine. Well, we talked about this when um, Saban debuted, but what was like your first Alex Shelley exposure? My first Alex Shelley exposure would have been the very tail end of paparazzi production, so not the good stuff. So, mm-hmm. like, the the Bob Backlund, big, fat, oily guy. Actually, the Bob Backlund stuff is kind of the good stuff, too. Yeah, that rocks. I don't know what you're talking about. My first meaningful Alex Shelley exposure would have been the best of the exhibition DVD where he would have been in a bunch of, like, random matches. But, like, in terms of, like, watching him on, on, a, on a week-to-week basis, it would have been the Bob Backlund stuff. 
I think it was Motor City Machine Guns. Mm. But very quickly after that, I bought, like, Ring of Honor stuff. Yeah. Including one of the two Ring of Honor DVDs compilations that I own being the Alex Shelley one. So, like, very quickly I was like, oh, this is the guy. This is my guy. Get get out of here, Rob Van Dam, Eddie Guerrero, Edge, Christian, Chris Jericho. I found Alex Shelley. Yeah. Detroit's close to Canada, right? It's on the border, yes. Yeah, so that's... I was like, yeah, he counts. Congratulations on your knowledge of US geography. Um, that's about all I know. Well, oh, that's a good Patreon series. Geography quiz? US geography quiz between the two of us? Well, you did just win 500 bucks in your, your trivia con- contest, so apparently you're pretty good. It was all animal-themed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it crushed it. What can I say? Did any of the Serengeti facts I dropped on the watch-along help... <laughs> Unfortunately, there was no Serengeti related. Uh, it was all Australian animals, I believe. No, it wasn't. That's a fucking lie. There was definitely an Australian animal focus, but they did delve around. You know, would you like to know the one that I cinched out for our team? Go on. There was uh, one that was like, who am I? I am... <laughs> I am a cat. I don't know if it was a cat. It was like, I am an animal voiced by Bill Murray named after a Spider-Man actor. It's Garfield. It was Garfield, and I shouted it so loud because I was so excited to get it. Because <laughs> it was clear no one else on the on the team had understood that. How how does nobody know about Garfield? I I don't think they knew like the Bill Murray Garfield specifically. That's disappointing. Which I have seen a billion times. So, mm. but yeah, there was um some of those questions were really fucking hard, and then some of them were like. The easiest thing in the world. So, there was some variant there. But, uh, yep, came second. I thought you said you won. Devastated. Came second, but won $500. What was the top prize? 1000 What is this lucrative Australian trivia contest you're going to? Um, don't, can't talk about it. It's underground. Freaking 500 bucks for second? Yeah. Usually trivia prizes for your, like, vouchers. And the best part is the like the second team that like I wasn't a part of but was also playing for a club that I am a board member on came third. Ah, so you are clearly the best part of that club. So we ended up with seven fifty. At the very least smartest. Uh that's how I would describe myself, yes. I was gonna ask, what percentage of the questions did you yourself answer? How much do you carry that team? But I think the problem is most of the ones that like, we like we all just knew. Like me, it was me and another person who basically ran the whole thing. Wow, burying the third guy. Wow, I hope he. Well, it was a four. It was a four-person team. So, but me and the other person, we like we basically knew all the same things at the same time. Mm-hmm. They probably knew a few more than me, so yeah. I'd put it them number one, me number two. Very modest of you. There was also a drawing component. Did you do the drawing? I did the drawing. You are an artist. We did get zero points, but it's because, um, no, it wasn't due to quality of the drawing. Uh-huh. They gave us animals which none of us had ever heard of, so I just drew jokes. <laughs> <laughs> which I admire. There was, like, a peckeride. You know what a peckeride is? No. It's, like, a little pig dude. Mm. But I interpreted it as a bird riding a penny farthing, so that's what I drew. When you said the word peckeride, I did think of a bird. Thank you. 
And um, I forget the other two. Then I drew like an Italian cat. Mm. And then there was like a weird bat rat man who I drew as Batman. Mm. So that's how I held my team together. Well done. If there was a baby bear, I would have known what to draw. I don't know how to pivot now. (laughs) I tried to give you something. Well, I mean more tonally than content-wise. So Alex Shelley was meant ah. to wrestle AJ Styles in this match rather than Elix Skipper. Sadly, AJ Styles' brother committed suicide shooting himself the day before this was taped, which cast a dark cloud over the, over the Orlando tapings. Styles was scheduled to face Alex Shelley and primetime subbed. A lot of people in the company were really broken up as he was there and getting ready for his match when he got the news. David Young, who was probably his best friend in the company, was also taking it hard, although he did work a dark match that night against Shark Boy. God damn. So yeah, you're, you're there, you're getting ready to wrestle Alex Shelley, and you get what is just utterly tragic news. It's not a, not a great thing at all. And if you notice, I think on the show where he's wrestling Kazarian and Shane, I think, he's wearing a, a black armband. Hmm. So, Goldilocks, again, how do you pivot to Goldilocks from that? Oh, god damn it. Uh, you know, um, Goldilocks is insane. So yeah, on the first pay-per-view of the month, NWATNA baby number 102, July 7th, Goldilocks, we have a feature on her and Eric Watts about how she defeated Eric Watts, She's, she has all his money, she owns his contract now, and now... She's looking to run TNA. She goes backstage with Scott Hudson. She's like, don't hate me because I'm rich. Filthy rich. She then offers to grow hair for Scott Hudson. Because <laughs> she has that kind of money. She has bought a new object. Yeah, so she has bought herself a new X Division object. She's gone out. She's spent her money. She's bought herself a, a wrestler. So, like, obviously the payoff here is that it's the baby bear, Alex Shelley. Mm-hmm. Why not have Shelley win <laughs> on the last show? Well, I don't think they had signed him yet. They only signed him after this pay-per-view. So maybe it was like they brought him in to do that match, they impressed him, and then they're like, all right, we'll start doing the story with you. Okay, that makes a little more sense. The way mm-hmm. that we had read it out, it made me feel like he had already signed. So it's like, should have just given him a win. Yeah, PW George have July 8th as the date he signed, which is the day after this pay-per-view where Goldie was like, I have acquired myself an X-Division wrestler. How do you feel about Goldilocks wardrobe? I, honestly, of all the iterations of Goldilocks, this is my favorite. She's, she's truly unhinged, but now she's like, she's like a character in a Knives Out. <laughs> yeah, she's like full 70s actress, where she's like, darling, I'm rich! Filthy rich. She's doing that fake stage accent mm. that doesn't really exist. <laughs> if you've seen Frasier, there's Frasier's agent. The character's name is BB. Tremendous role in the show. Like Goldilocks is just doing that, and it's really good. Would you like to um start the flagship war over Frasier now? Oh, they don't like Frasier, even though it rules. They are notorious. Frasier haters. How can you hate Frasier? It's such a good show. I am I am generally pro Frasier. I like I do not understand how you can sit and watch like that show, particularly like the David Hyde Pierce performance in that show, the Niles character. Go in. One of the best sitcom performances ever. Ever. 
He's yep. so good. Every like little nuance that man has ever had to do, every line delivery, every little quip, every bit of physical comedy, and then you have Kelsey Grammer, who's nearly just as much as equal. Like that, the, like those two central performances in that show are so good and funny. Like I'm five seasons into Frasier at the moment, currently watching it, and it, like it's it's just such good comfort food TV that is consistently funny. And anybody that doesn't like Frasier is wrong. They're just wrong. Uh, Kelsey Grammer, the goat, mm-hmm. legitimate psychopath, which I appreciate in my actors. Yep, one of my favorite Thirty Rock roles. Kelsey Grammer. Yeah, when he shows up as basically Kelsey Grammer. <laughs> also, like just the best Simpsons guest character. Yeah, so like first of all, you know, just a big uh, double bird to the flagship. Mm-hmm. Thank you for the opportunity of putting us on the podcast network. But uh, yeah, I want you to make a choice right now, right? Go. If there's one thing you're known for. It is your love of Parks and Rec. Yes. Uh, Parks and Rec or Frasier? I'm only five seasons through Frasier's 11, which is a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, Parks and Rec is one of my favorite shows ever, and I don't think Frasier quite reaches that level. But but maybe we'll see. Maybe when I finish Frasier, I'll be like, God, I love this more than I love most things. But I, I think Frasier is fantastic. I think that show is We will just revisit so funny. it once you've completed Frasier. Yes, I'm only halfway through. All right. I just wanted to throw that in there because we had the opportunity. When else? We... Actually, no, we talk about Frasier quite a lot. So maybe we could have gotten to it at some other point. But here we are. Mm. But Goldie ends this interview with Hudson just saying, Ta-ta, be gone with you. She's so good. She's tremendous. <sighs> I should bring her back in this role. So Impact, July 9th, Impact number 6, we have Abyss and Alex Shelley, the new tag team underneath Goldilocks. <laughs> That's bad phrasing. <laughs> Facing Jarrell Clark and Mikey Bats. <laughs> I like Mikey Bats because he feels like Austin Aries at home. Mm-hmm. That's my only note. I was thinking like Billy Kidman at home, but yeah, yeah, yeah I see Austin Aries too. Yeah, I, I really like this match. This is, like, we, we are getting more and more of, like, the regular TNA jobbers. Like, we don't have Cassidy Riley yet, even though he has been on the show before as part of the Hot Shots. But we have Jarrell Clark now. We have Mikey Bats, who are, like, really good, wacky flips guys who you can just throw in there with any X Division dude, and they'll probably have, like, a three-star match. Mm-hmm. This is why I like the Shelling stuff so much. Mm-hmm is that in matches like this, he just brings a next level of polish and fluidity to his matches. Yeah. Like, even when he's just grappling with dudes and doing hold exchanges, everything about it is just so smooth and compelling. Mm. And I'm watching it, and I'm like, it's insane that this guy was, like, two years in? Three years? Mm -hmm. Like, and he has a level of polish that, like, like... I, I know that's easy to rag on, like, US indies now, mm-hmm. but could you imagine, like, any, like, notable US indie guy being two years in and being this polished? No. No one is. So it's like, A, he's on a show where it's like, even, like, the best wrestlers on this show, I wouldn't necessarily call polished pro wrestlers. Mm. They're more, like, really good and dynamic performers who can do really crazy spots. And a lot of them eventually become, like, the most polished wrestlers of all time. But... He still stands out even in comparison to them because he's going in there and doing something similar but at a higher quality and maybe not as flashy, but everything in between it is much better looking. 
Yeah, because he, 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 he does more like grounded technical wrestling than he does flying here. Which he can do flying, he just generally doesn't. So compared to like, you know, Shane, Kazarian, PD, Saban, he, he just generally has that vibe of confidence a lot more. Yeah, he definitely feels like he doesn't have that second guessing or that like, you know, like a lot of guys in the X-Version, you'll see them like gear up before they have to do their big spot. Mm. Shelly feels like he naturally walks into it. Mm. And you can see, like, even in these little moments, why this guy would become so influential and basically influence a style of American television and independent wrestling that existed, but popularized and made conceivable on a mainstream level. It's, yeah, I know you mentioned Shelly's, like, above his contemporaries, even at this stage, but when you look at, like... It may it might be extremely unfair to compare these days indie wrestlers to this golden generation of independent wrestling, but when you look at like the the base floor level of competence of the likes of Saban and Shelley and Aries and Strong and Loki and Styles and well Daniels is a ten year pro at this stage and Samoa Joe and Brian Kendrick and all these guys from this era who like the floor of those guys even when they were young was really high, and you'd wonder like. What caused that? Was it great training? Was it like just the fact that they were all wrestling each other a lot? Uh, like part of it is probably that they weren't recruited too young, which I think is happening a lot these days, where guys are hired too young when they're not ready for television, as opposed to here, guys are high, like you, you know they're in TNA, which no offense to TNA and 04, it's not exactly the biggest stage, and maybe that that's what helps them that they're on like TNA at a, at a period when TNA doesn't have like the largest exposure. It's not like the 1.5 million people on Spike. I also every week. think. It helps that there's, like, a prominent Golden Age-era indie company that's, like, go. You know what I mean? And giving them the opportunities to, like, do everything that they want to do in independent wrestling and giving them a platform big enough that it actually has a positive impact on their careers. And it's, like, it's not just them doing 30-minute draws on shows that, like, a couple hundred people are watching, you know? It's them in a big prominent position with A-class talent at the same time. And it probably helps a lot to have, like, the two sides of the coin that are Ring of Honor and TNA at this stage. Where Ring of Honor is like, you do your wrestling, you get really good at wrestling. And TNA is like, hey, here's how TV works. Yeah, TNA's like, here's the hard cam, brother. TNA gives you, like, that television education. Ring of Honor gives you that wrestling grounding. And, and then you come out of that a much more polished wrestler because you get both sides of the business. Yeah, which I think is something that we were kind of hoping from AEW at the start. Like, you know, with the whole letting their guys work other companies. But it's like, the guys who were already working other companies were allowed to do it, and the guys who should be doing it didn't. Mm. So, I don't know, there's definitely something to be said about getting experience at, like, two different sides of wrestling completely. Yeah. That's probably why also people get so polished when they go to Japan. Despite the fact, like... and Sorry, not despite, but... Uh, added on to the benefit of, like, working in an environment where, like, the base level of pro wrestler is way higher, mm. but also just experienced in a different environment and learning a different style. And, like, that's yeah. kind of the same thing here. It's like, you have the indie style, but you also get to work with TV wrestlers. So Abyss and Shelley beat Jarrell Clark and Mikey Bats. This is where he is formally given the baby bear name. <laughs> I had no clue about the baby bear name mm-hmm. until you mentioned it to me. I just said the words baby bear at some stage. And I was like, what the fuck? And I don't think you explained it to me either. So now I have context to it. 
There's still not really context to it. He's just called the baby bear. He's he's Goldilocks's baby bear. I guess it, it does make sense. It's the three bears thing, but still. I think, um... Oh my god! <laughs> you just put that together? <laughs> yeah! <laughs> Goldilocks three bears, they should call a, bis- a big bear. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was like a little brother, big brother thing. This is like when I admitted to only getting Paul Bearer way too late. Oh, wow. The revelation of Goldilocks and the Three Bears, Goldilocks. and that's why he's called Baby Bear. Because I call Bear. it Goldie. I don't ever call it Goldilocks. Yeah. So it's like, I never put together it was Goldilocks. And, and there's also two of them. So, yeah. you know, they needed a medium bear. That's what Eric Watts wanted to be. Ah. Or Shark Boy and D-Ray. She owns a lot of contracts by the end of this month. Yeah, she should start her own rival promotion. Mm. Goldilocks Promotions. It's just Abyss, Alex Shelley, D-Ray 3000, Shark Boy, and Eric Watts. And Georgie Watts as well. Better than this fucking show. Abyss hit a fucking awesome press slam into a choke slam on Mikey Bats in this match. Abyss hits a lot of really great stuff. I, I get why people don't do that, because it probably causes concussions sometimes, but it looked fucking awesome. <laughs> Ah, oh, God. It's like the shock treatment thing. It's like, I get why nobody does that. It destroys your spine. But it rules! <laughs> it does, in fact, rule. Uh, this one was a black hole slam on bats. Mm-hmm. NWA TNA baby number 103, July 14th. Abyss and Alex Shelley defeated Sanjay Dutt and Sabu. Uh, again, the, all of these matches are just really high quality. Sabu hit the triple jump moonsault on Shelly, but Goldie had the ref distracted Abyss, then accidentally threw a chair at Shelly's head, setting up some random stuff between Shelly and Abyss. There's some dissension in the ranks of Goldilocks' army here. Goldilocks goon? Uh, Shelly won with a fisherman's buster. Uh, Shelly and Goldie then left as Sabu looked to put Abyss through a table. They were standing at the top of the ramp, and they're like, nah. But then there's some Raven stuff that we will talk about when we're talking about Raven. Yeah, there was a little, um... Little interlude with Abyss and Sabu during both of these feuds. Yeah, so the story here is that Goldilocks has brought in her baby bear Alex Shelley, and she loves him. Naturally. Um, why wouldn't you? And she loves him perhaps at the expense of her original client, I guess, Abyss. I do like that Alex Shelley, as a, pro- a progressive king, mm-hmm. has influenced Goldilocks to no longer be racist. That's true. She is doing no bad accents other than 70s film stars, which is a good accent. Because it's not a real one. So feel free, go ahead. Yeah. I I, I, really, I like this team a lot too. I'm kind of bummed that they're already breaking it up. Because mm. like, as soon as they started doing the descent, I was like, ah. At least give me an, an AMW match before they break up. Yeah. But um, also I guess like the sooner they break this up, the sooner Alex Shelley gets to do cool X Division stuff, so... Speaking of Alex Shelley doing cool X Division stuff, Impact number seven, July sixteenth. Alex Shelley faces Roderick Strong. Ah, uh, Roderick Strong. I mean, speaking of two of my favorite wrestlers, mm. <laughs> is this the time for me to go on my Roderick Strong top five wrestlers of the twenty tens rant? You can do it whenever you want. There'll be a decent number of strong appearances from now until oh six. But you know, shoot your shot. I'll save it to his last shot. I have nothing but respect for Roderick Strong. That dude is one of the best wrestlers fucking ever to me. I This dude, especially like when, I mean, I'm going to do it a little bit now because I want to talk about Roderick Strong and this go is off, my fucking go show. Uh, yeah, like, so like Roderick Strong, towards that, uh, before he got signed, I think it, you would be hard pressed to find a better wrestler in the world as 
that like he was a guy who I think like there's a, a misnomer about PWG not being a story company. I think there is a lot of stories in PWG, but Roderick Strong like amplified that and delivered one of the best character runs I had seen in wrestling uh, for in the 2010s for sure because. He goes in there, he has the whole heel turn, becomes the most unlikable prick in the fucking world. If people haven't, like, thought about or seen that Roderick Strong PWG run from, like, 2015 to 2016 before he got signed, you need to go back and watch it because it's so good. Every match is insanely high quality. Him winning the title, him just being this son of a bitch. It's so good. And then he goes in and he gets signed and... Honestly, like, at the start of the... Uh, his first, like, initial run wasn't great, right? Like, it was kind of dull. But as soon as he got into Undisputed Era and then Bobby Fish got hurt and he started teaming up with Kyle, they were having these crazy tag matches. He delivers in every aspect he's ever been asked to be in. Ring of Honor, like, a legitimate all-killer, no-filler guy. One of my first Ring of Honor matches... The, one of the matches that made me fall in love with Ring of Honor was Eddie Edwards versus Roderick Strong. I haven't even talked about goddamn Dojo Bros, who have one of the best tag team matches of all time against the fucking Young Bucks on, like, a random mystery four tech show. <sighs> I just love Rod Strong and um, yeah, I hope we'll see him in AEW soon replacing Bob Fish. Because like, Brody was always great but yeah there was that like 2050 like right before he left at the Indies where he's just like he's just decided one day to wake up and be like fuck it I'm the best wrestler in the world now. It was it's like I think he'd always like had the in-ring ability and was always delivering consistently to that level but that was the year that he's like Oh, I get the character too. Mm. And like that's when he put it together as a full package. And it sucks that we only got like two years of that full package. But he's still consistently one of the best. And if he does end up leaving like he's been trying to do and ends up going to AEW, I do hope that we get to keep elements of that and he doesn't become like a background guy to Adam Cole cutting promos because he's so good as a piece of shit heel. I think TK should have sent Triple H an email and be like, hey pal. How you feel about Mal Black for Rod Strong? Sound good? Yeah, leg- I mean, legitimately. I, I, I guess like <laughs> that's probably logistically impossible, mm. <laughs> like from a contract standpoint. But like an informal agreement to be like, hey, let's do a little swapsie. And while you're there, you can swap Punk for Kevin Steen as well. <laughs> but you know, like I just I would kill for it. I, I, I really like he, he is like the guy, you know. We got all the other ones that we wanted, but we didn't get Roddy, we didn't get Sammy, we didn't get Steen. At least Steen is being pushed again. That's a plus. Yeah. Uh, well, they're, they're, and uh, to be fair, I'm enjoying the current stuff they're doing with Sammy as well. Mm. So, like, like, and also, like, I, I get why if, like, Steen and Sammy were like, we don't need to go out there and kill our bodies, we did our art, let's do our money, you know? But, like, Roddy still clearly wants to go at that level. And still can. And he was written off from NXT 2.0, so maybe. So he can have his big main roster debut and wrestle Miz. Hell yeah. But, you know, I just... Roderick Strong is one of these dudes where you just like... You you wish he... he um, I'm glad he went there and made money, but like if AEW was formed five years earlier, you know? He'd be a top guy. Yeah. So maybe and hopefully we'll get to see that. Because, you know, the prospect of, like, a Cole O'Reilly Strong versus Elite match blows my mind. So, Shelly here beats Strong with the Fisherman's Brainbuster again. Goldie, very excited. And then Abyss, sadly watched on. Uh, also, Ruddy got an entrance here. 
Yeah, he did. And he, it's like red gear Roddy with the, the, the long tights. Long boys. Mm. Yeah. It's a, a very diff- different... I remember, like, the first time I saw Roddy in, in the long tights, and, like, he's, like, a lot bulkier and thicker here. Yeah. But um, I remember the first time I saw that, I was like, who is this guy? Because I'm used to, like, skinny, jacked uh, shorts Roddy, for sure. I think the first time I saw Roddy live would have been Super Card of Honor in 2009 when he wrestled Nakajima. Wow. How was that experience? They hit each other very hard, would you believe? I I do believe it. That is generally a thing that Roderick Strong and particularly Nakajima tend to do. I mean, like, I'm telling... I mean, well, I'm saying the same thing. Like, the first time I ever saw him was that Eddie match. Mm. Where they just belted the fuck out of each other. And that's what made me an Eddie Edwards guy, too. It was, like, the natural thing to be attracted to for for Strong. Because, like, obviously he was the backbreaker guy. But he was also, like, the super hard chop guy at the time. Mm. So, like, he'd just do his super hard chops. He'd be like, fucking holy shit, he killed him. Yeah. Again, like, you see that with Eddie as well, right? Mm. It's like, those two dudes just exchanging those super hard chops. And tearing the place down. And just going a million miles an hour. And I think that may have been, like, the first, like, 30 minute plus match I'd ever seen. Mm. So I was like, how? How How is this possible? You're allowed to wrestle for longer than 15 minutes? Yeah. So yeah, Shelly wins. Then next show, NWATNA baby number 104, we go backstage to Hudson and Goldilocks. Says, Goldie is like, I have all this money and I would like to give it away if you can defeat my boys in a contract versus money match. <laughs> I think all matches are technically versus money matches. There is more money for the winner at the pay window. At the pay window. And we go to Abyss and Sabu. Well, uh, D-Ray walks in. He's very confused. He's just like... Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. You, you're, giving out, you're giving out money? And Goldie likes it. It's like, yes! And he accepts the challenge without... And then Hudson's like, do you realize what you just did? She'll own your contract. And he's just like, I just heard money, bro. Yeah, D-Ray's great. I'm re- I really enjoy his, like character I, I think he's a lot of fun i i will admit i am disappointed at his change in gear mm. he swapped to like more I, I guess that you would say they're high quality tights but i i liked the tie-dye they don't work quite as well for d-ray do they no he just kind of feels like a guy now with those tights when he had the they kind of like reminded me of like mikey whiprack mm. with like all the colors and stuff and i thought they looked cool but um you know do what you gotta do i guess he should at least have gotten tight similar to Shark Boys. Ooh, that would have been fun. He could have got, yeah, blue. Uh, we'll talk about Abyss and Cebu and the Raven stuff, because there's not much Goldilocks development there. No. So, Impact 8, July 23rd, Abyss and Shelly face Abysmal Negro and Mr. Aquila. I think a big sign of confidence about both Shelly and this story is they're on every fucking show. Yeah, they've, they've become a, a pushed entity immediately. And they're winning. They're always winning. Yeah. Which is like, you know, that's how you that's how it works. <laughs> In fact, I think they win every match they have this month. Yeah, I kinda of, I don't think of one of the like except for the you know, the initial singles, but as soon yeah. as they get into this act, it's all wins. They win all their tags, Shelly wins the to the singles against Strong, and Abyss wins the singles against Sabu. So once they get into the Goldilocks orbit, she's the manager of champions, Liam, they keep winning. Yeah. Yeah, so Shelly and Abyss against uh, Abysmo Negro and Mr. Aguila. Uh, nice little match. It's always fun to see Shelly in there with guys who can do different styles because he can do different styles. No, he can he can match anyone, and that's another like crazy 
thing about Alex Shelley is like you put him in the in any environment and he'll he'll succeed. Like he, he obviously he does the indie thing, he does like the TV wrestling thing, and then he like he goes to Japan and becomes like one of the best super genius for like five years. Mm. <laughs> He's so diverse. And then like you can put him in there with like uh, like any of these like technical luchadors and he, and he'll have these crazy matches with them too. Like. He's the coolest and the best. Sorry, the coolest is Frankie Kazarian, but I will give you the best. Okay. Uh, there's a fun thing where it's Abyss against Abysmo Negro, so it's Abyss versus the Black Abyss in this match. Ah. The finish here, Abyss hit Abysmo Negro with a black hole slam. Shelly hit Mr. Igor with a double stomp at the back of the head. Shelly got the pin. Abyss was pinning at the same time, but the referee counted Shelly's pin. So the idea was Shelly stole Abyss's limelight. Shelly stole the pin. And Abyss, um, he's getting sick of this shit. Yeah, he's upset about Goldilocks having her new baby bear. I mean, wouldn't you two? Uh, a quip from Conan. Conan hasn't lived up to his reputation of being outspoken since he left WCW, at least until Wednesday night. After being informed that he and the other members of the 3 Live crew weren't booked for an Impact match, Conan asked someone in management, how is it possible that we don't have a storyline, but Goldilocks has one every week? Well, because Goldilocks is entertaining, you fuck. Wow, shots fired at the 3 Live crew. Yeah, the worst act in the company. They are. I can't deny that. I think they are the worst act in the company. Mm. NWA TNA baby number 105, July 28th. We have another tag match. This time, D-Ray and Sharkboy have accepted the challenge, so they will face Alex Shelley and Abyss in a money versus contracts match. Another really fun match. I do think Abyss and Shelley should deal with these two a little faster. Yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. But also, like... It's not like they're complete jabrones. Yeah. Like, they're the impact jabrones, you know what I mean? Mm. Like, it's not Mikey Bats. It's Sharkboy, who is, like, the mascot of the company, and D-Ray, who has, like, actually been involved in storylines. They're the main event jobbers, as opposed to the undercard jobbers. Yeah, they're the the jobbers who will beat other jobbers. (laughs) Mm. So Abyss was briefly infatuated with D-Ray's comb, which I quite enjoyed. He just started staring at it. There's a lot of hair continuity with Abyss. He is fascinated with hair, it's true. He should have been a hairdresser character. There's a a moment I liked where Abyss was just sitting on the apron, looking sad. Yeah. (laughs) But they'd eventually accept a a pretty aggressive tag toward Alex Shelley. Abyss won the Black Hole Slam on D-Ray, so so Goldie now owns D-Ray and Sharkboy's contracts. Another big story development afterwards... Desire attacked Goldilocks. And everyone seemed very confused by it. It's like, we don't know why this is happening, but sh- sure. Yeah, I, maybe this, maybe Desire will be Mama Bear. Mm. So later in the show, Hudson has Shelly and Goldie. She talks about how she knows why Desire did it. Georgie Watts put her up to it, didn't she? <laughs> yes. Before it turns out, Desire comes in and they explain that they need the money for their kids because they're broke. <laughs> that, again, is the actual story here. That Desire and Sonny Siaki have no money to feed to their children. To employed pro wrestlers for this company. They don't have any money to feed their children, so they need to try and win Goldilocks' money. Siaki seems to accept a match against Shelly, but then Goldie is like, you won't face Shelly, you'll face my abyss. Which I thought was actually a good bit, too. Mm. Uh, a cool little like um, a little swerve for them you're not getting what you think and one would presume that match will be on the first pay-per-view of August mm-hmm. so there's all your Goldilocks and, and Alex Shelley and no Eric Watts this month she does own his contract making it uh, icing him out so are you happy we led off with frankly I think about 20 minutes on Goldilocks well we led off on about 20 minutes of Alex Shelley <laughs> I don't know I think we mostly talked about Goldie 
Actually, we might as well talk about Roderick Strong. <laughs> uh, everybody but Goldie. Goldie's going to be upset. It's like, this is her big month and we didn't talk about her. But um, she did a cool Fraser accent, so... Yeah. Toss out scrambled eggs and whatnot. I really... Uh, this whole world title scene, man. It just... I just don't care mm-hmm. about any of it. Mm-hmm. Actually, wait, before you go in, I need to go like eat something. My stomach is like hurting. All right, we'll take our intermission. Let me just grab something real quick. What you get? A sandwich. What's this sandwich? Well, it's a sandwich that you don't consider a sandwich because it's just peanut butter. No, oh, I'm fine with peanut butter being a sandwich. Did I give out about that? No, I think you said oh, it doesn't count as making food. No, it doesn't. It is. I'm literally making it. No, you make a sandwich, but it's not making food. That involves cooking. No, it doesn't. Yeah, it does. I got it. If you're like, I'm making a sandwich, I'm fine. Like, if I were to go to your house and you're like, yeah, we're all preparing some food for us. And uh, you said that to me and you gave me a sandwich, I'd punch you. Fuck you. First of all, I can make a wonderful sandwich that can be a meal. Uh-huh. I can chuck, like, Prosecco on it. I can put spinach. I can put, like, a bunch of shit on it. Fuck you. Mm-hmm. Sandwiches can be full meals. You just don't respect them enough. No, I respect sandwiches. I just don't consider them making food. You're a fool. Requires cooking. I, I never said it was cooking. I said making food. What if I made it from scratch? If you baked the bread, I'd allow it. What? Okay, then what if I like cook bacon and put it on a sandwich? Hmm. It's interesting. Yeah, I'd also allow that because you are, again, preparing food. It sounds like it's just what I've said. No. If you put any kind of cold meats or spreads onto a sandwich you're not making food you're making a sandwich so let's head on over to the world title scene for the month we'll start with the Jarrett shamrock trio k stuff which is 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 really very bad i'm gonna tell you i'm not gonna have a lot to say about it we're basically going to tell you what happened yeah there's there will be no opinions because oh let's do all of our opinions of the entire feud now bad (laughs) bad all right cool um, now we will tell you what happened, and I will stay silent. Impact, number five, July 2nd, 2004. We had a feature on Shamrock. He's like, I'm returning from the Octagon to the Hexagon, and I'm going to dethrone Jarrett, and I'm the first NWA champion of the TNA era, and I'm back. We'll talk about the Russo, Dusty, Hardy stuff separately. We'll just, we'll stick to the 3LK Shamrock yeah. side of it. The Hardy thing is its own thing. Mm. So main event of that episode of Impact, Team Canada faced the three live crew. Jeff Jarrett comes out for commentary with the Elite Guard. Uh, this is where Rodman was there, sits in the crowd. Johnny Devine runs in after a ref bom- gets bumped, but Truth takes him out. Jarrett hits BG with a guitar, allowing Rude to score the pin. Jarrett then looks to hit Conan with a second guitar, but Shamrock comes out, smashes the guitar off the floor as he faces off with Jeff Jarrett. I'm just going to leave all of Liam's silence after each angle in. I mean, it's the same angle, so... NWA TNA pay-per-view number 102. We get a build to a match that I didn't realize began this early, as we have Hudson being interviewed by Monty Brown. Monty's talking about how he's going to wrestle D'Lo tonight. He's condescending about Scott's grasp of the obvious. Two things about Monty promos. One, he has like the sense of charisma that has a particular pro-wrestling kind of weirdness to it that is just so Mm. perfect. He's so like off-kilter in that really charismatic, interesting pro-wrestling way. And he's just captivating everything he does. Like, there's a bunch of promos this month where he's, like, talking to Hudson. Hudson's introducing him. And he just starts, like, pawing at Hudson's hand. Oh, he's a fucking weirdo. And that's the best part of it. Mm. 
Like, I, I don't even know, like, if I want to say he's a good promo in quotation marks, right? Mm. But he's definitely entertaining as a performer. And that makes up for a lot of it. And his promos are just unlike anybody else's on the shows. Like, everyone does their pro wrestling promos, and he's like, Dilo, you're a little kitty cat. Like, meow. I'm a big lion in the Serengeti. Roar. There's no mountains in the Serengeti. Which, by the way, we looked it up as a lie. There is mountains in the Serengeti. And he says that line twice. Because he's like, Jeff Jarrett, you're king of the mountain. There is no mountains in the Serengeti. Lie. He didn't Google it. (laughs) He also, my favorite line was like, yeah, Jeff Jarrett should want me to win. Because he's going to run from me. Mm. (laughs) And you're like, Monty, that makes no sense. So the main event of this show is a, a, the big gauntlet match that we talked about last week with all the Trail K, all the Descartes, Jarrett, and Shamrock for the title. Uh, well, big is probably a generous term there. Um, Why the fuck are the elite guard in this? To be Jarrett's pals? Don't just put, like, Team Canada. <laughs> That's true. They're better wrestlers. And they're not the fucking elite guard. So Monty's like, I don't care who wins that gauntlet match. I'll take on any of them. That's where Jeff Jarrett walks into scene. And I didn't think they started building Monty and Jarrett this early, but here we are, the first pay-per-view of July. They're starting the build to Monty Brown against Jeff Jarrett. Yeah, I always thought of that as, like, a, a monthly pay-per-view thing. Yeah, because, like, their first match is in November. And, like, uh, in my head, is like, oh, they start building that toward that in October, maybe September. But all the way back in July, we're already, like, having these two at odds. Which kind of makes the eventual result that much worse. It's really annoying because you will see over the next few months, the first match he loses is all right, but but the second match he loses is like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, the, the, you had the guy and you fucked it. But we'll get to that. Jared interrupts. He wants respect from Monty. He does his promo. He does like his, his favorite line about Monty, which he does over and over again. You'll hear it a million times that he's a double A ball player trying to make it in the major leagues. Ha ha. So, I will talk about Monty and D'Lo here, too, because there's not much other Monty stuff. Uh, Monty faces D'Lo. It must be a winner. Monty wins. That's pretty much it. There must be a winner, and there was. Yeah, D'Lo jumped off the stage onto Monty into the crowd. Then D'Lo missed the swanton. Uh, I think the idea might have been that he was going for a low down, but actually rolled through. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, pounced through a table. Monty won. And there was a winner. <laughs> there was. There was a definitive winner, and it was the alpha male Monty Brown. So, the following week... We'll talk about D'Lo because he wraps up here. The following week, Mike Tanay interviews D'Lo Brown. And like the way this interview starts, it's really weird. It feels like it's foreshadowing a heel turn. Or he's like, he looks disinterested in Tanay. He looks, he looks like he wants the interview to be over any second now. And then as the interview goes on, it like pivots. Where D'Lo's like, five and a half months ago, my baby girl was born. And it completely changed my perspective on wrestling. And I'm just not into this anymore at the moment. It's just like, I don't care about wrestling now. Yeah, every time I have to go away from my kid to wrestle, all I'm thinking about is how I can get back to my kid. And then he's like, Mike, you're a granda, aren't you? And it's like, yeah, she calls me Papa. And he's like, that face, that face you just made, that's why. Yeah, and like, this is the end of D'Lo Brown and TNA, the last match we will see of his until the Aces and Eights. And I kind of loved it as a write-off. It was weird, and but, like, it was a very real reason for someone to stop caring about pro wrestling. Yeah. And, it, like, it weirdly contextualizes D'Lo's recent, like, 
half-assed run in a way that almost made sense from a character's perspective. Wow, I didn't even think about that, but that does make sense too. That's just like, he's aimless and wandering around the card because he's aimless. He doesn't care about this right now. And I just think, like, dude wants to be with his daughter is such a fun little way to write off a wrestling character. It's so different. Yeah. I, um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Hmm. I actually, yeah, I quite enjoy that. Because, like, I, I was sitting down watching the segment, it's like, oh, the, weird, the vibe of this is weird. They're doing a D'Lo heel turn, and then by the end of it, it's like it's like a really nice little emotional segment between Mike Tanay and D'Lo, and D'Lo's like, ah, my flight's in an hour, and I want to go catch it. And that's the last we see of D'Lo, and he just goes home to his daughter. I kind of love it. I kind of love it. Um, Cigar. Yeah. The D'Lo Brown run. Mm-hmm. How do we feel about it? How do we feel about it if we were going to grade it on a school grading level? I think he's had some good matches, particularly the AJ matches and the tag team matches with AJ. Like, like in 2003, he did some good stuff. And in 04, he's just felt anytime he showed up, which has been pretty sporadically, he's felt like just a, a complete non-factor, irrelevant part of the show. So... I, I had a lot of hope when he arrived. He cut that great promo. He's the first guy to do, like, the I jumped promo. You know, the fuck Vince, I'm in TNA, this is the future. He's the first guy to do that. And he did a great promo. And then he lost to Jarrett. And then he kind of slowly slipped down the pecking order. But then he found some life with AJ, where he had good matches with AJ and had great tag team matches with AJ, teaming with AJ. That first tag run of theirs was really quite tremendous. Yeah, the great chemistry as a tag team. A lot of fun as just a random two dudes thrown together for no reason whatsoever. And I appreciate that they kept like going back to it in a way. Mm. Like, they, they didn't just leave that run as its own separate thing. They were like... Yeah, these guys are boys, and they will occasionally team up afterwards. And actually, as it turns out, his last match, it, it didn't air. It was a dark match at Impact, but it was teaming with AJ. Oh, that's cute. Which he did uh, after this one, actually. But after this promo with Mike Tanay. So, yeah, I'd I put him in, like, a, a C. Yeah, my, my instinct was C-, minus, just because it, it was a disappointing run. Mm. Because when he came in, he did feel so hot. Like, he felt like a big deal that maybe he could be, like, a top main event level guy for them. But he never, like, even though he was in those positions, I don't think he ever had the sustainability to really feel like uh, a legitimate payoff to it. Yeah. And, like, it's tough because, you know, one of his priorities was working all Japan. So he, he just never had the consistency in TNA. He was always in and out. Well, you could argue there that, like, maybe that is the responsibility of the company to lock the dude down then. Mm. If you feel like he can be a guy to that level, which it seemed like he could have, especially early on. Which is the thing they did do with Christopher Daniels. Yeah. So it's like, it's, just, it's not like it was a completely unprecedented thing to be like, get get this guy locked down so you have him whenever you want him. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's, he falls under the, like, the classic TNA. It's a story of what could have been as a guy who came in, who's like a great wrestler with great, like, charisma, who could have been... Maybe not a difference maker. I don't think, like, the story of D'Lo Brown, like, the, the best case scenario here is that he takes TNA to new heights. I I, I agree. Like, it's, it's not, I don't think he was going to be John Moxley for AEW. Mm. But I do think, comparable to the level at which TNA was, he could have been a difference maker there. Mm. Like, I don't think it was going to explode them to, like, number two company in the world. But... I do think he could have been a money-drawing guy for them. I think, like, the, the best potential comparison he could have been was Raven. 
Like, he could have been a raven. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, and having another raven on this crew is not a bad thing, you know? No, there's not a lot of stars around here these days. And especially going into TV, right? To have, like, a third recognizable top star that feels like that mm. could have been a way bigger deal. And I do think people have, like, particularly these days, but, like, even back then, I think pretty strong feelings for D'Lo. Like, he was a pushed act. Well, not quite a pushed act, but he was a featured actor in the Attitude Era. I think D'Lo's one of those mid-card WWE guys that you just kind of, like, fall in love with. Like, you know, like with me talking about Christian and um, Jericho and Edge, like, from the era that I was watching them. Like, RVD. Like, those those guys were, like, mid-card runs that, I like, you fall in love with, right? It feels like he was, like, kind of on a similar, like, thing where it's, like, you know, the Eurocontinental title stuff, you were, you were, you were into it, you know? You like this guy because in an era where there wasn't a lot of, like, actual good wrestling wrestling, he was a dude who stood, stood out. And you look at the stuff he did this year, where like he just showed up on Impact, you know, beating the hell out of Honor No More a couple times. Crowds lost their shit. Those clips went wild online. Like people like D'Lo. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it is a story of what it could have been, but I, as I, said, I really like how they wrote him off. I thought it was a, a really charming, different thing to do. It feels weird because, um, just in the context of the show, it feels like just yesterday he showed up, mm. and he got this big promo about how like Styles has reinvigorated his passion <laughs> recently about how he's going to chase the NWA title, and then like three weeks later he's like, "I have no passion for this. I want to leave." So main event of NWA TNA Baby Number One Hundred Two, July Seventh, was the gauntlet match for the NWA World Championship. Jeff Jarrett defeated the Elite Guard Three Life Crew, Ken Shamrock, in the eight man gauntlet. Hernandez and Killing started, then Onyx, then Jarrett, then Conan, then Collier, then BG, then Shamrock. Elite Guard then dumped Conan as Shamrock made his entrance. Elite Guard threw out Shamrock. I don't think Shamrock took a single bump this month. Uh, Shamrock snapped, wrecking ringside, threatening Don West, which is makes him the biggest heel in the company. Killings threw out Onyx and Collier. BG and Hernandez were also thrown out. Uh, Jarrett and Killings were the final two. Jarrett hit Truth with the belt, but BG stopped the pinfall. Then Shamrock came out grabbed the guitar from Jarrett just like he did on Impact but this time instead of breaking the guitar Shamrock smashed the guitar over Ron Killing's head allowing Jeff Jarrett to retain the NWA world title swivel them hips you know what I found weird in that like if you base this on TNA history this actually makes a lot of sense Mm -hmm. because you ask who beat Ken Shamrock for the NWA title Liam Ron the truth. It was Ron Killings. So the idea that he'd come out and say, fuck you, you beat me for the title, you're not winning, would make a lot of sense. But they never called back to that. And I was like, that's weird. It felt more like a Jeff Jarrett, Ken Shamrock alliance Mm. than a individual Ken Shamrock story. Yeah, it's just the latest chapter in the endless This Is Jeff Jarrett's Company, where it just, it can't be a thing about Ken Shamrock. It's always a thing about Jeff Jarrett. Yeah. While he was threatening Don West on commentary on, I think it was Impact the day on the next show, Don West is like, not gonna lie, Mike, I thought I was gonna die. <laughs> Good way to put it over. Don West's life flashed before his eyes when he saw Ken Shamrock coming at him. Well, wouldn't you? Mm. Well, we're talking about, like, Ken Shamrock getting sucked into the Jarrettverse. There might be a poignant note to bring up. So Shamrock is working with Jeff Jarrett in hopes of creating some cross-promotion between TNA and UFC. You remember a few months ago we talked about Jarrett going to Dana White and being shot down. Uh, Jarrett approached UFC officials a few months ago about that very subject, but his proposal was rejected. The feeling is that UFC may be more willing to work with Jarrett now that TNA has the Fox Sports net exposure. UFC doesn't have weekly television, is only available on pay-per-view. Can you imagine a Jarrett against Shamrock shoot fight? Um, yes. (laughs) 
uh, double J, double MMA, you know? Oh, yeah, that's true. He's the master of MMA. You're right. I was going to say that, that Jar- uh, Shamrock would win very quickly, but you know what? Now, now did it, you have me questioning it. I wish we lived in a world where Jeff Jarrett became the king of Pancrase. <laughs> That would have been such a great bit. He should have made a deal, because, like, Pancrase does exist still as an MMA company. Mm. He should have made a deal to, like, get the belt during the double J double MMA <laughs> run. Uh, that would have ruled. Like, not even, like, go out there and win the belt. Like, just, like, give him the physical title. Can you imagine a Minoru Suzuki versus Jeff Jarrett program? Uh, they should do that now. I was about to say, I'd watch that in 2022, never mind back then. Yeah, that's, that sounds like a great strong feud. I don't know what you're talking about. Mm. Bullet Club, of course, versus Suzuki. Win. The stable warfare. Uh, another note on Shamrock, he's working with a torn rotator cuff. MMA Weekly reports that he is going to need surgery that will likely put him on the shelf for at least four to six months. So any matches he's able to produce for TNA will be very limited in scope. Not that you could tell, of course, based on the fact that he is doing absolutely nothing in any of these matches. I like that we got a, a um, an MMA Weekly yeah. reference. A legit source in here. Never mind your wrestling sources. It's just like, that's a name that I, you know, you hear about a lot, but it's been a while. Mm. So, Impact, number six, July 9th, there's a match between the Elite Guard and the Three Live Crew. Conan had Collier into Tequila Sunrise, but Jarrett ran in, smashed him with the guitar, allowing Conan's future ally ex-pal Hernandez to score the win. Jarrett and Elite Guard then laid out Drill K until Dusty and Larry Zabisco made the save. Yeah, you know, the legend's going to make the save. I need to know if you also, like, start doing the the... Elite, the the elite. Every time the elite guard come out, because I do do it. <laughs> no, but there is a little bit of Austin Aries eventual music in the elite guard theme if you listen pretty closely. Ooh, uh, which Austin Aries music? The first one he has, not the second. I don't remember the first one. The, dude, I can't do it. I was gonna try. I was like, no. Now, <clears throat> uh, quick, Garrett, splice it here. Yeah, there you go. You are listening to it underneath and us. Now, talking. splice the elite guard music here. <laughs> That's too much editing. You're just gonna hear the Aries one. And now, splice in. CM Punk's entire tirade. <laughs> Listen, you empty-headed idiot. <laughs> no. You fucking empty-headed fuckhead. Oh, sorry. I've been calling people that, like, all week. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a funny insult. I hope, like, there's, like, not wrestling fans and just people are completely aghast as why you're being mean to them. Oh, it isn't wrestling fans. <laughs> it's regular people. Uh, they just think I'm a piece of shit. So, Dusty and Larry Z were still in the ring after the break. Larry is sick of the guitar as he has a bunch of tickets to Larry Land because it'll be... How's this for a match? The American Dream Dusty Rhodes, the living legend Larry Zabisco, and the three live crew facing Jeff Jarrett, Ken Shamrock, and the Elite Guard in a guitar on a pole match. Gary, I noticed that you said, now what a match this is. (laughs) Yeah. There's a problem with that. That you didn't watch it? Is that the problem with it, Liam? I fundamentally refused to watch this. I think this is the right kind of wacky match, though. Nah, I I saw Jeff Jarrett, Ken Shamrock, 3 Live Crew, and the Elite Guard in a guitar on a pole match, and I just said no. But Larry Z is in it. I just said no, Garrett, and I'm not gonna back down from it, okay? <laughs> I, I just... I was watching, and I was just like, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. It's just not possible. It's not even a choice. Mm-hmm. It is a fundamental human right for me to refuse to watch this. <laughs> and for my own mental health, I decided not today. The match was pretty fine. 
Nah, I... No. No, Garrett, no. Uh, so this promo, this Dusty promo was bad. <laughs> the one before? The, the one where they announced this match. Because, like, he, he completely loses track of his promo. And then at the end, he just, like, incoherently shouts, Guitar on a pole! Wednesday! TNA! And then they just cut the break. <laughs> Dusty has some, like, real, like, just shouty... Like fucking going off the going off chops promos this month. He's like, I have completely lost track of what I was going to say, so I'm just going to scream a little bit. Yeah. Now I mentioned Dusty's bad promo because there's some heat between Dusty and Larry Z over the promos. <laughs> the heat with Dusty Rhodes and Larry Zabisco got stronger this past week. Zabisco was bragging on Wednesday about how he out-talked Dusty Rhodes on the Impact Show and noted to several people how Dusty got so bad he never even talked about Jeff Hardy in his promo. Rhodes, the next day, was livid talking to anybody who would listen about how Zabisco really didn't do a good interview that he did. He also knocked Zabisco, saying that he goes on television looking like a golfer. Was it Dusty that would go on and be like... You know, how how do you call yourself a legend? <laughs> I, I remember something vaguely about, like, Dusty being like, living like, like, he's gonna call yourself a legend, okay? I remember, like, there being something along the lines of Dusty being like, uh, people just think you're a legend because you call yourself one. Mm. I'm a real legend. Yeah, he's the real legend, daddy, as opposed to the living legend. Yeah, I, I, I remember that being, like, some backstage thing. I didn't realize these two, like, disliked each other so much. Yeah, just salty. It's like, there's only room for one old man around here, and it's apparently Larry Z. And it's Jeff Jarrett. Speaking of, NWA TNA paper number 103, July 14th, Scott Hudson has Jeff Jarrett backstage. Jarrett thinks he and Shamrock can coexist. He's calling for Dusty because of how Dusty is trying to roll out the carpet for Jeff Hardy. Jarrett is going to take out Hardy like he took out Hogan and he took out Sting, which he says multiple times this month. Which my favorite thing about it is, like... I love the heel bragging about making the show worse. Yeah, I've taken all the stars you like off of it. I guess it's, it's like that's like fine, like heel heat. But I find it funny just because he's like, <laughs> he's like also the owner. Yeah, which just makes it very. Funny. I run off everybody but me. Yeah, right. Like, like he's saying the quiet part out loud. So Jarrett's like, I'm going to remain king of the mountain until somebody knocks me off before the alpha male Monty Brown walks in. He's like, I'll knock you off. There's no mountains in the ceremony. Damn right. So then we have the 10-man tag team guitar in a pole match. Dusty, Larry, and three live crew defeat Jarrett Shamrock in the Elite Guard. Uh, yeah, good match, eh? Classic. So Shamrock threatened Mike Tanay during his entrance, and then Don was like, sorry I abandoned you when Shamrock was here. At least Don's apologetic. Although, maybe that's like the worst kind of friend. <laughs> Being like, yeah, I abandoned you, but sorry, I'm aware I abandoned you, but I still did it. And I will do it again. <laughs> but also, it's Ken Shamrock. So, you know what? Fine. Garrett, I would fight Ken Shamrock for you. Uh, these days, you'd probably win. Unfortunately, I'm fighting Johnny Fairplay, so you will have to fight John- <laughs> Ken Shamrock on the card. Oh, yeah, I'll take him down. Alright. Garrett Kinney calls out Ken Shamrock. <laughs> That's the headline from this podcast. That's the title of this podcast. Shamrock had Dusty in an ankle lock, allowing Jarrett to get at the guitar. Dusty then got the guitar, smashed Onyx, and pinned him the elbow drop. Shamrock had run off to Nay and West, so all of this finish played out to silence. <laughs> in many different reasons. Uh, and also from the commentary. Mm. 
Uh, so segment ended with Monty confronting Jared at the top of the ramp and staring him down. I do like the Monty build. He feels like a star on the up, which is not that many people in the heavyweight division these days. Yeah, he feels like an AJ, except like, ironically, he felt he feels like an AJ that has a bigger chance of winning. Mm, because he has muscles. Yes, and he is large and in charge. Ken Shamrock was not used on either show last week and, well, not used again until 2019. He has custody of his children and has made it known to TNA officials that he can't work more than one show a week because he's a single parent. Shamrock has also been telling friends he's not impressed with the company. He sees the promotion as minor league and isn't on the best terms with Jeff Jarrett. Shamrock has told a few people that he is completely aware of the fact that he is just the latest big name brought in for Jarrett to defeat. It's crazy that... Ken Shamrock didn't say that in a live press conference next to Dixie Carter. Though. <laughs> uh, yeah, you only bury it to the torch. Actually, no, you bury it to friends who then pass it on to the torch. That's the way this works. That's the way it's meant to be. <laughs> That's how you be a professional. I don't even like unironically like stooging stuff off to the to the sheets. Completely fine to me. Mm. That is a pro wrestling tradition. But. Oh. <laughs> I mean... I wonder how many stories this month we could relate back to CM Punk. It, uh, I, I, but not the podcast for it. Mm. <laughs> but if... Alright, I'll phrase it this way. Shoot, shoot, shoot. If there was a Panda Energy media scrum, mm-hmm. and Ken Shamrock right. was out there saying all this stuff about the company, burying everyone, say if he was like, oh, I, that, that Ron Killings guy... That fucking empty-headed dumper. <laughs> I, as Panda Energy, would fire him. <laughs> Never mind the whole backstage brawl bit. For making an ass of me yep. <laughs> in front of the world and burying my company. Mm-hmm. And that, and you know, and theoretically, right? If he went backstage and fought the Elite Guard, <laughs> right? The Elite Guard. <laughs> I, um, that wouldn't even be my concern, you know? <laughs> like, fights happen in wrestling. You suspend everyone, you move on. That's whatever. I'm more concerned about the fact that at my own goddamn press conference, you went out there and buried me ten feet deep. While I was sitting next to you. And I couldn't do anything about it. Because have you tried telling Ken Shamrock to stop? <laughs> That's not gonna work. <laughs> and plus, you didn't even bring up Frank Shamrock. <laughs> Ken just started going off about it. <laughs> That's it. In that theoretical setting. During the backstage uh, interview with Jarrett and Hudson, Hudson came this close to saying he was hoisted by his own guitar, as like a wordplay on a hoisted his own guitar. <laughs> hoisted by his own guitar. <laughs> I was like, oh, you're so close, Scott. You were so close. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. Hoisted by your own guitar maybe should be the, the, the title. Now. Yeah, we'll go with that as the title. But uh, in the show notes, we'll say that Garrett Kinney has challenged Ken Shamrock to a fight. For the last, I don't know, six weeks, we have been clearly been building like around Jarrett versus Killings, and now it's just dropped. This was the end of it. Yeah, I like. I don't know. They're going in a different. Well, are they? Because it's confusing where they're going with Ron Killings. Because it feels like they're building up to him and Monty. Yeah, they they've clearly pivoted off into Monty and Killings, and then Jarrett and Hardy. Yeah, well, they they probably locked down Hardy for a bit, and they're like, yeah, sure. Mm, that's our match now, get out of here. Which I, I guess I can't blame them. So, there were a bunch of segments that we won't talk about individually, but 
the, 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 the crux is that Vince Russo has assigned Dusty Rhodes the task of going to North Carolina and getting Jeff Hardy's name on the bottom line so he's signed with TNA. And Dusty's talking all month about how he has this folder with him. He has this folder and there's something in the folder and he doesn't tell us what's in the folder. He's like, rock stars, get this folder, daddy. And he doesn't tell us what's in there, but he's, he's like, this is what's going to get Jeff Hardy to sign. Mm. I kind of like this story, though, a little bit. That, like, Dusty is the kind of the, the old generation babyface going out to get the new generation babyface. Yeah. And it would also, like... Jeff, and maybe because he is anyway, but, like, feels like the biggest deal at the same time. Mm. So, I don't know. I'm into it. So, this builds to NWA TNA pay-per-view number 104, July 21st, in which Jeff Hardy returns for the first time since his debut against AJ Styles. He's here to sign the contract. Dusty comes out. He introduces Jeff Hardy. Jeff Hardy comes out. He soaks in the reaction. He goes to all four corners. He makes a meal of it. He milks it before he does eventually sign the contract. So, he's officially on the TNA roster. Jeff Hardy's a fucking insane person. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Just, this is not a real human being. He does exist. He's one of those guys that just feels like he exists on a higher plane of existence. Yeah, he, you know what? He's like one of these guys, and like you see it a lot with like actual eccentric artists, right? Mm. Where you're like, you operate in a different world where normal rules don't apply. Yeah. Because you get to live a life... That no one else gets to live. <laughs> and some would say opportunities that no one else would get. Well, with Jeff, you know. Mm, I do know. He's like, I mean, I understand. You know what I mean? Like, it's Jeff fucking Hardy. Like, what are you gonna, what are you gonna say? But it's just like, I don't know. There's some people where you watch and you're like, you live your day to day in a completely separate reality mm. from anyone else. And there's no way that I could even comprehend it. He is modest to the top, then. He's modest at the top as well. So Dusty pulls out the folder. It has Jeff Hardy's name on it. And he reveals that in this folder, the thing that really sealed the deal, the thing that got Jeff Hardy to sign on the bottom line to join TNA, is he has been promised an NWA world title shot. So he slaps it down on the table, says, Hardy signed this too. Before he can sign it, the alpha male Monty Brown's music hits. He interrupts. He says he's one pounce away from the world title. Then Jarrett comes out. He's upset that Hardy didn't heed his warning that he took out Hogan and took out Sting and he still showed up. So he's going to send Hardy packing. Slaps him. They brawl. Hardy runs wild. Monty pounces him. And then, because again, nobody can get over in this company, Jarrett cracks Hardy with a guitar. I, I, I get doing this, but, like, not day one. You know yeah, this I mean? this is just sign, and he's getting a title shot. And maybe, like, maybe have Monty come out because he wanted to beat Monty before he gets to Jarrett. But, like, it should be Hardy and Monty. Like, Jarrett shouldn't even be in this segment. Yeah, which would be better booking. Uh, Jeff Hardy was predictably unpredictable during his return visit to TNA. <laughs> After missing flights that drew a phone call from Jeff Jarrett during his first night with TNA... Jeff Hardy missed more flights during his return visit. A source reports that Hardy was scheduled for an early flight but waited to take the last available flight that arrived in Nashville in time for his appearance on the July 21st pay-per-view. He also caused a commotion the following morning when he overslept and had to be awakened by a wrestler that TNA officials sent to check on Hardy. By the way, they assigned a wrestler on Jeff Hardy watch. It's Frankie Kazarian. (laughs) (laughs) He's managing Jeff Hardy, making sure he 
gets up and goes places. Hardy was scheduled to accompany the crew to Orlando for the impact taping, so his tardiness held the bus up that takes the talent at the airport by at least a half hour. <laughs> Several wrestlers grew frustrated with Hardy's tardiness, Hardy tardy, that rhymes, and complained openly about it while they were waiting on the bus. Monty Brown was the most vocal of the bunch, as he was concerned that the breakfast he had ordered, the DNA crew typically orders breakfast from a Nashville waffle house to eat on the bus that takes them to the airport, was going to be cold. <laughs> well, you know... Have you ever had cold eggs? It's true, they're not pleasant. No, it's awful. I don't blame Monty. Brown may have also been upset because TNA officials informed him that they want him to put over Hardy at the next pay-per-view. <laughs> so, <laughs> the man wants me to lose to him and eat cold eggs? It's the most disrespectful thing imaginable. He takes my push and my eggs. Ruins my breakfast and my career. Ugh. Wrestlers say Hardy is quiet and somewhat awkward backstage. He's weird, says one wrestler. He's like Teddy Hart, minus the pretentiousness. But he does have a rock star aura about him. Yeah, that's the thing, right? That's that he has that that aura. Mm. And um, you know, and uh, that's the thing. Is like, I'm sure he's a wild card and he's like insane to be around. But he never struck me as like a. I think I'm better than everyone, guy. Yeah, I I don't think he ever does it out of malice. Yeah. It's his, like, it's his own thing that gets in the way of, like, other people, but I don't think he does it as, like, a fuck mm. you. I don't think he would go on a panda <laughs> media <laughs> scrum, right? Hypothetically. Hypothetically. And bury Monty Brown. Wrestlers were pleased that Hardy was not given the special treatment that other big game wrestlers often receive. He stayed at the same hotel as the other wrestlers, which is a change from some of the bigger names the company has used in the past. The word backstage at Impact was that management is so concerned about keeping Hardy in line that they've assigned someone the task of making sure he gets up in the morning isn't doing anything too out of the ordinary at night. Frankie Kazarian. I think being on Jeff Hardy Watch would be cool. Sounds like a fun time. Incredibly, like, daunting. Mm. <laughs> but I'm sure you're picking up some fun tidbits from Jeff. So, main event of the Impact July 23rd is Jeff Jarrett making his Impact in-ring debut against Shark Boy. Uh, yeah, this, I think this is a, a fine a fine match. I find it very fun that Jeff Jarrett came into the Impact Zone and was like, Alright, Impact Zone brawl! I was going to give out about this. <laughs> He's like, it's a new area to brawl in! The dude has made us suffer! through Asylum Brawls for over two years now. He's there, in the Impact Zone, in Orlando, for the very first time, and he's like, this four-minute match against Shark Boy, two minutes of it is going to be a crowd brawl, because fuck y'all. Yeah. <sighs> oh, Jeff, never changed. I respect it. I respect that he has the shtick and he sticks to it. I will say, I, I enjoyed this match because it was, like, slightly more competitive, and I think it works more for, like, I was giving out that Abyss and Shelly were too competitive with Shark Boy. I think it works better with Jarrett as, like, the shit-eating heel. It's like, oh, Shark Boy gets some drop kicks and, uh, like, a, not even a near fall, like, a, a kind of, a little bit of doubt pin on him before Jarrett puts him away. I, th- I think that's a fun little format for a guy like Jarrett. I'm telling you, Shark Boy, he's the guy who like will always get some stuff in because he's the mascot. Yeah, I love that Jarrett. I'm a big fan of heels who are like very clearly outclassing their opponents, but still choose to cheat to mm. win. Like Jarrett could have won this without the low blow, but he took the easy way. Mm. So you mentioned low blow stroke for the win. Jarrett gets the microphone, calls out Hardy. Then, of course, he hits Shark Boy with a guitar before Hardy comes out, runs wild. Monty then comes out, drops Hardy with a pounce before stares down Jarrett once again. Building to NWA TNA pay number 105, July 28th, in which the big match, number one contenders match, Jeff Hardy versus Monty Brown. 
We just going straight to the match. We were talking about the promo. Oh, there was a promo earlier in the show. Uh, Hudson had Jared asked about the Hardy and Monty match. Jared was like, I don't care who wins. And then Scott Hudson was like, fucking cut your bullshit. You always call yeah. Monty Brown a double A ball player. You want Monty to win because you think you can beat him. Uh, yeah, and that, of course, goes later on into the, the Monty promo. And Monty's like, yeah, he wants me to win because he's scared of me, which makes no sense. Yeah. Of course, Hudson, the, the clear voice of reason on this show now, just just calling people on their shit. Yeah. We also get the, the Ron Killings Monty pull apart. Yeah, so there's a couple of Monty promos where he mentions Killings, and this one, he's like, he's going to beat uh, Hardy, become number one contender. He calls out Killings specifically, and then they brawl. And again, like, this was the one where Monty was just, like, batting at Hudson, and he was walking around him, sniffing him, and, like, hunting him on the interview set. And it's just such a unique charisma, and you can see it already here. It's like, this dude's a star. Like, as you said, they might not even be good promos, but he's so charismatic and different that it's like, star. He's just a star. I like the idea that Ron Killings is, like, off to the side watching this mm. before he has to do his, like, run in. <laughs> and he's just like, what the fuck is this guy doing? He's just staring agape at him, like, being like, oh, oh he said my name. <laughs> Yeah. Or it's like the classic AEW principle where anybody in a promo that's about to be talked about is literally standing offset immediately to, there to interrupt. I mean, like, even outside of a kayfabe perspective. Yeah, it's like, what the fuck is this guy doing? <laughs> Watching him sniff Hudson and, like, pat his arm. It's just like, huh. Huh. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, that has to put you in a weird mindset before you're going in to be, like, super serious character, man. Mm. So then Hardy versus Monty. Hardy wins, hits the twist of fate. Jared comes out, pulls Monty out of the way of the swanton. Monty misses the pounce. Hardy rolls him up. Hardy and Jared brawl. Hardy goes to hit Jared with the guitar, but then Monty pounces him. 3LK save. Dusty comes out, declares Hardy the next world champ. And Russo's like super mad. He's so upset that that Dusty has done this. He's whispering in his ear. And then Dusty is real mad about Russo looking sad and being mad about it. Basically, these two are mad at each other for reasons that aren't entirely clear. Yeah, I think Russo is angry that Dusty went above him to give Hardy this shot. Mm -hmm. But also, he did tell Dusty to, like, do what it takes. Yeah, go get him. So, I don't know, man. Maybe, like, if you didn't want the title shot to be on the table, tell Dusty... (laughs) Yeah. Also, like, why does Russo care? It's Jeff Hardy. Why are you mad at the... And he, like, it's not like, you know, he was handed number one contendership in the end. He earned it. So why is Russo so mad? Well, he's not a, a top five ranked competitor, obviously. He beat the undefeated Monty Brown. In a number one contender's match. <laughs> um, but, you know, maybe Russo never signed off on it. Mm. Dusty going into business for himself. Last show of the month, last Impact, Hardy beats Kid Romeo in a squash match on Impact, Swanton. Jared beats Lex Lovett in a squash match, Stroke. I don't think any of the Jeff Hardy matches have actually been good. No, he's... he's no, uh, the, he, the AJ match isn't good, but it's at least novel. I'm also not including that as like part of this run, necessarily. Mm. Like That was like a prelude. Because like, Monty's green, so it's always tough to tell, like, is Hardy good in a match against Monty? But, like, even in, like, a company that has really fun squashes, mm. his squash wasn't fun. Yeah, like, Kid Cash on this show has a squash against Mikey Bats where he fucking killed him with a moneymaker. <laughs> Every other squash on this show was way better. Even the Lex Lovett mm. one. So, yeah, Hardy's he's not looking the sharpest. But, you know, he does get there, so... That's true. So, on the show, we had a lot more Russo and Dusty drama. Uh, Dusty was the judge. He was meant to be watching the P.D. Williams-Bobby Roode against Gerald Clark-Mark Lornoff match. Uh, but then he was shouting at Russo at ringside. That's where Russo looked saddest. <laughs> That's where he did the face and the hands. 
Then yeah. later in the show, backstage, Franchise has Russo. Russo's like, Dusty, there's the misunderstanding. Actually, later in the show, R- R- Russo comes out to Tanae and West, and he's like, stop talking about it. Stop talking about this r- this Dusty stuff. There's nothing there. Before Dusty comes out and confronts him again. I like it. Yeah, so Russo announces that he'll have a number of announcements on the next pay-per-view. He'll talk about the X Division co-champions, which we'll talk about, the tag titles, which we'll talk about, Jeff Hardy, and he'll name a new championship committee. Then Dusty showed up again, shouted at him, and Russo's like, get out of my face. He should talk about um, ending the weekly (laughs) pay-per-views. That's that's what he should talk about, yes, on the first show of August. I'm sure he doesn't. So there is your world title picture. Jarrett versus Hardy is your uh, direction, along with Monty Brown versus Ron Killings. Which sounds good on paper, but we shall see. And then the only other feud left this month in the heavyweight division is Raven and Sabu. Yeah, um, I don't think this month was as good as the initial mm-hmm. month, but I do like that it spread over onto Impact. Yeah, so the, these stars are actually on the show, and there's angles on the show and story development on Impact as opposed to just squash matches. So NWTNA Baby number 103, July 14th, we had that Abyss and Shelly versus Sabu and Dot match that ended with uh, Goldie and Shelly walking up the ramp as Sabu was about to put Abyss through a table before the lights went out and an audio clip of Raven played in the building as the chic dummy hung in the old Tina dancer's cage. Then Abyss drops Sabu with a shock treatment and powerbomb Sabu through a table. So Raven is haunting Sabu. Ooh. <laughs> Sabu had a squash match on the July 16th impact. He beat Alistair Ralph, Liam. Alistair Ralph. Everyone's favorite Team Canada member, A1, making his debut. I didn't even know that it was A1. You saw Alistair Ralph and you weren't like, it's A1! No, I was, um, I was like, ah, yes, the House of Ralph. <laughs> You're a bad A1 fan. I'm sorry. My favorite part of this was Sabu won with the triple jump moonsault, but A1 kicked out on three. <laughs> He's like, I'm a big star. I'm doing that pulse three kick out. Yeah, um, surprised that was cool. <laughs> Listen, he's, he's the Team Canada guy. He can get away with whatever he wants. Also, he's big. True. So, Sabu has been striking Raven's pose a bunch. He struck his pose again to end this segment. Before, uh, Sabu faced the Abyss in a false count anywhere on this match on the July 21st show. Just as Sabu was about to drop out of the stands, lights went out. Raven appeared, hanging Sabu from the stands before dropping him onto a table. Didn't break. Raven then, in a moment of panic and and calmness, I guess, a bit of both, did an elbow drop out of the stands through the table, allowing Abyss to pin Sabu, and Raven is back, trying to torment Sabu once again. This was a really cool ending, mm. and I want to... Come when I say this, I want to put you over. Oh, yay! Yeah. For um, the great note that um, he did this in his own nest. Yeah, there's the old Raven's Perch, which was used to be where Raven hung out and cut promos, which is like the top corner of the building. And that's where Sabu was about to jump out of the stands from. Lights out, that's where Raven appears. Which I thought, yeah, a good, neat touch. Yeah, and it feels, uh, it feels weird that like we're approaching the end of like all that, you mm-hmm. know? We're only six shows left in the asylum after this month, Liam. Oh, so close. <laughs> so later in that show, Hudson has Raven. Raven says that his only consolation is that the Sheik is dead and can't see how embarrassing Sabu has become. How do you feel about the use and invoking of dead people in pro wrestling angles? <sighs> um, I think it usually borders on bad taste. Nearly always. But, but I also always get the impulse to do it. Yeah. I also think... There's a certain level of, like, 
oh, this guy's a fucking worker. He he would he'd be he'd love this. You know what I mean? But I also think that's generally used as a, as kind of an excuse to do whatever you want. Yeah, but it's the goddamn sheik. Yeah, <laughs> the sheik the sheik is fist pumping. He's hooting and hollering at this. He's very happy up in heaven, or sorry, in hell after being led to hell by Paddington. Yes, thank you. <laughs> With the queen. It's slow. What? What? <laughs> Listen, I wasn't happy about it, but it was there. It's William Regal's fault. Yeah, Regal. So he asked Sabu to make a decision by Impact, which is actually a thing that doesn't happen very often. Like, they actually don't promote either things or angles or matches for Impact very much on the pay-per-views. Very much, no. It's very much an other way round situation, which I guess makes sense that it's like the, the, the much smaller audience is watching the pay-per-views, the bigger audience is watching television, so the bigger audience are pushed to the, the paid audience. But I, I find it weird that like that, that this is like the first instance I can think of where they're like, they set up an angle on the pay-per-view to directly push to the TV. Well, they do stuff like, we'll find out the answer on Impact. Yeah. Which is usually, we'll give you the actual answer on the pay-per-view. Yeah, which we saw. I think at least twice, they've got, because the Russo killings decision thing was like, find out an Impact! And on Impact, Larry Zia's like, we'll tell you on the pay-per-view. Which is some bullshit. Uh, Raven has a squash match, he makes his Impact debut on the July 23rd show, first time. Actually, on the show, full stop, I think. I don't think he's actually been on the show at all, never mind wrestling on the show. Yeah, I don't think he's even, that's what, because that was one of the things I gave out about. So yeah, squash, Raven effect, Raven wins, Sabu comes out after, stares down Raven, Sabu goes to do Raven's pose, but then Raven slaps him, and then Sabu finally snaps, fights back, and they brawl a little. Yeah, I really like Sabu's gear. Oh, his gear always rocks, he's the best. But like, he's clearly like, bringing out the good gear, because he's in a big feud that he cares Mm. about. A lot of um, two-tone stuff, which I really appreciate. And then last show of the month, Mike Tanay's in the ring. Tanay announces that it will be Sabu versus Raven on the next pay-per-view, and it'll be their one and only match. They insist one and done. That's what I think. Uh, it actually turns out to be the case. <laughs> Not for reasons you'd expect. Why would you setting it up as if it wasn't then? You made me look a right fool. <laughs> Garrett, this would be like if you were at a Voices of Wrestling press conference, uh-huh, right? right. <laughs> and you were sitting next to Rich Craig. <laughs> I am fucking sick and tired of working with these kids. Yeah. I'm old. I'm hurt. I'm tired. So today introduces Raven. Raven is dressed as the Sheik. He has Die Sabu on his chest, which is presumably German for the Sabu. Thank you. (laughs) Raven kicks Sine out of the ring and talks about how he's waited 16 years for this. Raven calls out Sabu to fight now, but he knows Sabu won't come out, so he's going to burn the Sheik's gear so he puts that in a trash can, but he's like, this isn't enough. This won't get Sabu out here. I have to murder someone. I like that he's like, oh, I'm going to do something a little unhinged, a little wacky. I'm going to murder someone. <laughs> yeah, so he pulls the body back from under the ring, which turns out Sanjay Dotson there. Sanjay takes a hell of a bump in- into the, the trash yeah, can. Yeah, Raven dumps him in there and starts pouring lighter fluid on him. And he's like, I'm going to set you on fire. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite thing is he has this little like lighter stick i don't know what you call those you know the, the long kind of lighter things it looked like a big match but it, it like had a little flame i thought it was like a comically large like cartoon yeah, match. But it turned out it's one of those things where you just pull a little button and the the, the 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 flame comes at the top but my favorite thing was like he briefly mixed that up for his microphone and the crowd laughed at him <laughs> <laughs> i love how unhinged he looks right now he looks like complete and utter garbage because yeah he has like the mustache like the almost like a fu manchu mustache yeah he's also dressed like the sheep yeah, it's he's he's it's going for a look it's quite the look raven's going for here 
I don't mind it, though. So, uh, lights out, Sabu shows up, he saves Sanjay from being set on fire. Then <laughs> they brawl for a while before security separate them. Mm. Uh, like, they've been building to this match for two months, and I think, like, I-, I assume they would have went to it a little earlier had Raven not been hurt, but I think they they did a good job of pacing this feud, even, like, pacing it around the injury. I think it's dropped off a little bit, but I am still excited for the match. Yeah, so that's the first show of August, you'll get the Sabu versus Raven match. Mm-hmm. All right. Let us head over to the X Division, which mostly featured a single program all the way through the month, which is rare of TNA. And a program with, like, consistency. These guys are actually on the show all the time? Yeah. And, like, it's not being bogged down with a lot of other stuff. So we have a lot of Michael Shane and Frankie Kazarian matches. Michael Shane and Frankie Kazarian beat Amazing Red and Chris Sabin on the first impact of the month. Uh, nice little match. Dusty's the judge. Saban lands a pump kick. Followed by a Shane super kick on Saban for the win. Shane and Kazarian. Shazarian. Also beat Shark Roy and D-Ray on the first pay-per-view of the month, July 7th. Uh, Shane pins David D-Ray with a super kick. Hmm. Following impact, which was main evented by PD Williams versus AJ Styles versus Chris Saban in a really nice little three-way match. Yeah, I thought that was fun. I mean, it's an easy formula, X Division TV, multi-man. Which they do a lot of, but at least there's three good wrestlers, and these three wrestlers will eventually have the best Ultimate X match ever. So there you go. I wonder how many three-way X Division matches have been on TNA TV in its history. A lot. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You don't get as many lately. There was was a few leading to Bound for Glory last year. There's a bunch of three-ways to build to a three-way. So there's not as much as there used to be. There was like one this year, at least. There was one on Rebellion. There was the Ace and uh, Mike Bailey and um, Trey Miguel match, which is really great. That match rocked. Yeah. Uh, also on that episode of Impact, we had another Frankie Kazarian and Michael Shane victory over uh, Sharkboy and D-Ray in a rematch. Shane sent Tracy in the way of a Sharkboy crossbody, and then Frankie hit the flux capacitor on D-Ray for the win. How are you feeling about the the Frankie Michael Shane stuff? I think it's the first time they've given like a, a, like meaningful promo time to an X Division feud in a way that's worked. Mm-hmm. I don't think Shane and Kazarian ever really clicked as characters individually until now. Like Shane was doing the fun stuff with the Shawn Michaels cousin, which was uh, you could laugh at it, but he didn't feel like his own standout character. Whereas now it feels like they're actually fleshing these two out as individual people. They also, it, to me, it's quite an iconic, and a quite an iconic TNA combination as mm. well. So, like seeing them together, it, it's like a little full circle thing because I, I I have fond uh, memories of these two together. Mm. Oh, we missed the segment, by the way. <gasps> the week before Mike Tanay's in the ring, he calls out Shane and Kazarian. To Tracy demands Tanay acknowledge her, so I think she's the tribal chief. Uh, I would agree. Because he was only like, oh, come on out, Shane, because Arian never said Tracy. She's like, acknowledge me, Mike. Yeah, that's fair enough. She says everybody hates AJ. There's a petition to kick AJ out of the X Division. Uh, Tanae would like to see the the X Division. He says, name one. And then Frankie says me. And Tanae's kind of like, fine. <laughs> yeah, I, I like these two as like just big, dumb idiots. Kaz states that the TNA bylaws say that when somebody leaves the X Division, they cannot return. And Tanae's like, that's not the rule. <laughs> they argue about who put the X Division on the map. Jerry Lynn comes out. He felt how they felt. He hated AJ. He thought AJ was a, an empty headed idiot who wouldn't take his advice. God, that was the actual story. Uh, Jerry knows for a fact AJ has earned everything he's gotten. Jerry points out that he's beaten both of them and Frankie lost the X title to AJ. Jerry says that Shane and Kazarian are afraid of AJ because they can't beat him. They attack Jerry. AJ makes the save. AJ then says, I'll face you next week. And it will go fine. 
It will go fine. So AJ interrupts the announcers when they're doing their, their card rundown, the classic thing. He says he'll wrestle either one of them, doesn't care, next week, and then he'll wrestle the, the other one the week after. Shane interrupts, he's like, I will one-up you. How about you wrestle both of us in the same night? And if either of us beat you, we get a title shot. But if, if one of us can't beat you, we'll leave the X Division. And it all goes perfect. It does. So that then leads us to NWA TNA Baby number 103, July 14th, in which the show opens with Michael Shane versus AJ Styles. And it all goes perfect. Yeah, they they work a nice little match. AJ's running wild. Shane goes out to the floor. AJ does his classic flip dive to the floor. But he hits his legs off the guardrail and he sells them and he sells them and referees and officials come out and Jerry Lynn comes out. Uh, Russo also comes out. They stop the match. Michael Shane is declared winner. I thought they did a really great job with this finish. Like AJ, like he did the dive and he just smashed his legs off the rail. It's not like he like did smoke and mirrors. He just did the thing and then sold the thing really well. Yeah, I, I thought it was real for a second. You thought it was a shoot brother. Yeah. So Michael Shane, by virtue of defeating AJ, has earned himself an X Division title shot. And, um, you know, AJ's going in hurt to the Frankie match. Yeah, so there was a, a commotion about whether or not AJ would actually do the match. Jerry Lynn comes out. He says, I'm subbing for AJ. And a thing I absolutely loved, Kaz was like, no. Yeah, what the? That's not what I agreed to. <laughs> yeah, he's just like, this is bullshit. If AJ can't compete, I should be awarded a win. AJ comes out. He fights on. Shane and Tracy come out as well. Tracy distracted the ref. Shane hit a super kick, but AJ kicked out. Styles hit Tracy with the Styles Clash. Styles had Kaz in a roll up, but he was the ref was checking on Tracy. Styles was then going for the clash, but Shane clipped his knee, and then Kaz picked up the win. So both Kaz and Shane have pinned AJ. Both of them earning X Division title shots. Yeah, I, I didn't like think either of these matches were like super blow away. Mm. But I did, like, enjoy the the show long story. Yeah, and again, it's just nice to have stories in the X Division, which is, a, 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 like, it's always the big knock against the X Division, that it's like, oh, it's great wrestling, but there's no stories. And, like, frankly, it's a little bit the opposite this month, where it's like, this isn't a great story, but, you know, Shane and Kazarian are good nerds, Styles is the perfect babyface, Jerry Lynn is out here being, like, being called Geriatric Lynn by Frankie Kazarian, which is <laughs> top not to wordplay, frankly. Frankly. And, like, you have stuff like Styles, you know, he's working this match with an injured knee and he goes for the springboard moonsault DDT and his leg gives out and it's it's just good wrestling. AJ's good at this stuff. I'm really looking forward to AJ and Alex Shelley. <laughs> I think it only happens once. Wow! Maybe twice, but they're only quick TV It's like matches. when we did the, the rundown of how many times AJ and Jeff wrestled and it was, like, very little. They never had, like, a top pay-per-view match yeah you'll be shot like oh, Shelly and Joe only have one match and again it's only like a 10 minute impact match 10 minute UFC slash TNA show oh those have been the house shows yeah which we might have and an 8 minute impact match which we definitely have and that's and a 6 minute impact match and that's it what's the date of the the house show match 30th of September 20, 2006 we probably have that match so we'll probably cover that on the Patreon during 06 which is the longest match they've had ever <laughs> Which is probably like 10 minutes, is it? 10 minutes. Yeah. They had a dark match on an impact coming up. Mm. Actually, I think... Yeah, fine, that. I think that might air. Aha! I think that's on the episode that um, we were talking about, that Hurricane episode. I think they pulled that out of the, the, the vault for that episode. When was that? Do you have a guesstimate of when that was? I think it was like September. Um, was it the best damn wrestling event period? No, that's a different show altogether. Uh, they, yeah, they do have one three... At TNA Impact 16. That seems about right. But we'll find out. <laughs> Which is seven minutes. Mm. 
but it's probably good. So that explains why it was only seven minutes, probably as well. If it was a dark. Mm. So impact number seven, July sixteenth, we have America's Most Wanted versus Shazarian goes to a time limit draw. The clock froze for like a minute <laughs> on on fifty eight yeah. seconds. It wasn't about a minute; it was about twenty seconds. But on fifty eight seconds, it just stopped, and I thought, oh, they fucked up like the the last second finish. But it's like, no, it just still went to a draw. All right. Yeah, I don't know. That's uh, these things happen though, you know. I've it was because these are taped, so I really don't get it. Well, they're turned around pretty quick. They they're taped on Thursday, they are on Friday, so it's not like they have a ton of time to like go over them with a fine tooth comb or any <laughs> or any. Yes, they're they're probably produced live to tape. To be fair. So, they're just like, yeah, ship it off. And this is the year, by the way. Like, there's no such thing as, like, you record the digital file, you send the file. You're sending tapes to be aired. Like, you're you're getting the tapes mm-hmm. in Orlando to send to be aired. You're not deliberate. Like, there's no digital delivery back in these days. No. So, that brings us to NWA TNA Baby number 104. It was meant to be Jerry Lynn teaming with AJ, the, the Exhibition Dream Team, the first tag champs, back together again. But AJ was injured, couldn't compete because of the knee injury he suffered against Michael Shane the week before. So Chris Saban stepped in. Styles came down to ringside, distracting Kaz, allowing Jerry Lynn to grab a quick pin. Shazarian then attacked before Styles cleared house, made the save with a crutch. Then Styles said, Shane and Kazarian both earned title shots and they wanted to know when they were going to get their title shot. Well, how about at the exact same time next week in a three-way Ultimate X match? Are you going to be okay, AJ? Yeah, he's like, my knee hurts, so I'll fight you both at once in the most dangerous stipulation in the company. <laughs> but first, I'll wrestle Jarrell Clark. Yeah, you gotta work out the knee on impact against Jarrell Clark. You're fine. But, uh, you know. Uh, it's just, like, that's one of those, like, blind, dumb babyface things, right? Mm. And, it, like, it's the fun little one-upsmanship, because they're like, we'll get our title shot, we don't care what order we get them in, but we'll win the belt. And even if we uh, one of us wins the belt first, we'll then defend the belt against the other, because we're best pals on the same page. And then AJ kind of throws a spanner in the works, being like, what if you're both in the match? And it's Ultimate X. And then you have the hook of, like, obviously this is the fourth Ultimate X match, but AJ's first. So it's, like, Styles and Ultimate X for the first time is, like, the big hook. Yeah. I have some bad news about the Ultimate X, but we'll get to it. As you said, AJ beat Jarrell Clark on Impact. Styles Clash, Shazarian watched on from the ramp. Nice little TV squash. Is there, like, one really, like, good Jarrell Clark match in TNA? No. I thought there was. Like, there was. They're all pretty much this, where it's, like, a nice little two-and-a-half-star match. Hmm. Maybe there's some other Jarrell Clark thing, but I... I... Jarrell Clark is always one of those names, you know? Because he does a 630, and he's cool. That is cool to do. I know whenever I do the 6.30, people are like, wow, Liam, that's Yeah, they're popping off. They're like, wow, you're the best. Mm-hmm. Ever. I finished this double underhook into the Styles Clash. Like, cool. Yeah. I like Styles Clash variants. Mm. And then breaking out a random one on a squash match at Impact, because he's just like, yeah, why not? Yeah. And then main event of NWA TNA pay number 105, July 28th, was the Ultimate X match in which Michael Shane and Frankie Kazarian defeated AJ Styles simultaneously pulling down the belt to become co-X Division champion in Ultimate X. So you know what I don't like about this? Go on. In every other, like, disputed title finish, mm-hmm. we have Vince Russo umming and ahhing for 15 minutes. <laughs> He's fine with this one. <laughs> yeah, and in this one, Borash just makes the call. Well, the referee makes the call. Borash announces it. But, like, there's no debate. It happens immediately. Well, you see, Vince Russo has long established, even though he broke this rule last month, that he will never overturn a referee's decision. So the referees have now understood that they have to make their decision before Vince Russo can come out and make sad faces. That is stupid. Also, I think I'm sick of Ultimate X. Yeah, this one is this one is fine. It was pretty good, I think. 
I don't know. It just doesn't do anything for me. Like, there there was a Stars Clash off the cables. It was kind of sloppy, but it was pretty cool. That was the best part. Mm. There was a part where AJ went to do the springboard onto the cables. And he fell flat in his face. And I was like, are you selling? Or was that a botch? Because he immediately sprung up to knock Frankie off the cables. But also, he's, like, doing the knee injury thing. So he's worked me into a shoot. I don't know whether he was selling or it was a botch. Also, that would kill me. <laughs> I would die. If you just tried to springboard jump fall. Yeah, I'd be dead. I had some, oh yeah, I also loved the way that AJ like bounced on the top of the cables mm. to get to the middle. That's stupid <laughs> and dangerous, but it's cool. I, I like the general idea of this match, where it was like basically a two-on-one handicap Ultimate X match. Yeah. Where these guys were constantly trying to take down Styles, and Styles was constantly like fighting back. I also like that they didn't really do much like Kaz and Shane getting in with each they other. They didn't do any, I don't think, really. They had like a, a, a shoving match, and then AJ broke mm. it up. So, Finish Styles was climbing the cables, looking like he was going to win before Kid Cash, who had an interview the week before at Mike Tanae, which I thought was a real big mistake. It's like, yeah, it's surely Cash coming out here to cost AJ the Ultimate X match, having not seen Cash for the best part of a month, is way more impactful than him doing like a sit-down interview with Tanae the week before. It's like, what are you doing? Just have him be a surprise here. Everyone thought he was gone and he's back. I, I don't know. Though that interview with Tanae did have the line where two freaking ninja juggalos, which you quite enjoyed. That's going in the intro. It's going in the intro. They are two freaking ninja juggalos. Now we are the two freaking ninja juggalos. So yeah, that Tanae interview was all the same stuff. Like AJ special treatment, Cash better than AJ, AJ sucks, AJ and AMW are bad at promos, which is true of AJ and not of AMW. Mm -hmm. AMW's promos are good, AJ's, they're they're terrible, he's really bad. (laughs) They jump around a little bit, but for the most part they're good. Yeah, so Cash smashed AJ with a crotch showing that his foot was not in fact hurt anymore then Shane and Kazarian climbed the cables from opposite sides met in the middle unhooked the belt dropped the mat simultaneously both holding the belts and the referee declared them co-X division champion mm-hmm. so Shane and Kazarian your co-champs and then Styles and Cash is your feud coming out of that as a non-title thing going forward I'm into the co-champions though because again I have quite fun memories of them mm. how do you feel about the two champion stick that, they, that wrestling goes to sometimes it's I, it's one of those things where the company does it, but never has an idea how to undo it. It feels like, has there ever been a scenario where they've done, like, the two champs, like, who are willing, and then they, like, unify them together? What do you mean unify them? Like, they're co-champions, but then they do, like, a, a match to make it one. Uh, I don't know. Did Cool ever do that? No. Because there's not a lot of co-champs. Yeah. I guess, like, Jericho China? Mm-hmm. I don't know. We then wrap up our X Division stuff for the month with a Kid Cash squash over Mikey Bats on the last Impact of the month. That was fun. I really like Kid Cash's jacket. Oh, his big coat? Yeah, it looks really like cool. proper coat, not just like resting coat? I've always wanted a big coat like that. Mm. Like Joe Doring? Yeah. Yeah, this is your standard squash, but Cash fucking killed Mikey Bats with the moneymaker. <laughs> he killed him. Yeah, I love... Kid Cash, man. That moneymaker was such, like, that's the classic, oh, that's an extra quarter star on this match, pal. Well done. You slaughtered him. Weirdly, Mikey Bats came out to an instrumental version of Iron Man? That's how I would describe Mikey Bats. Vote for me. I like how you did a legally distinct version while doing it. Also veering toward the family guy bit? I think that's a family guy bit. 
Is it Simpsons? Uh, I don't know. I guess you're just the classic Family Guy fan. It's true. Seems today that all you see is violence in movies and sex on TV. Uh, I, if something I know about Garrett, he always goes, top three favorite shows. Number one, Family mm-hmm. Guy. Number two, Parks true. and Rec. Number three, Frasier. Speaking of violence on TV, let's move over to the AMW Naturals feud in the tag team division. Please acknowledge the quality of that segment. Yeah. First name battle of the month, D'Lo and AMW defeat Nasawa, Miyamoto, and Make Inu? Yeah, I, what the fuck? Cage match says Make Inu is Masada. Which I love Masada. I don't think that's true. Nah, it doesn't look like Masada. I think it's David Young under a mask. I was going to say, in that it looks like a white guy. Mm. <laughs> I wish it was Mazada. I love Mazada. Former Wrestle 1 Cruiserweight Champion. Had a great wa- run against Seki Yoshioka, Yusuke Kadama, Andy Wu. Mm. So the big story here, AMW won with the death sentence, but the Naturals showed up who had already stolen AMW's gear, have now stolen AMW's tag titles. In both the literal and in the, the figurative that's sense. That's true. So that sets us up. A tag team title match on the next show. Hudson has AMW asks if they didn't take the Naturals seriously. The Naturals stealing the tag titles was their breaking point, and they're going to get exactly what they deserve tonight. Which leads us to an NWA World Tag Team title match between the Naturals and America's Most Wanted. Where, actually, we gave out about last month, where they did the, the video package with all the teams, and they listed, like, nine teams, most of which weren't even teams, and they left out the Naturals. And, like, during the Naturals' entrance here, they're like, we left them out of that video. Were we not taking them seriously enough? Yeah, I mean... That definitely wasn't the intent, but I'm glad they referenced Yeah, it. they turned into a little story that's like, oh, well, everybody overlooked them. It wasn't just AMW who overlooked them. Like, we overlooked them. We left them under that video. And none of the chance, so fuck you. Yeah, so they beat AMW here very, very quickly. It, it's like a weird thing. Like, Rudy was breaking down the rules, which is a thing they've never done before. He's like, I want it clean. I want it straightforward. blah 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 See, I, I don't like when wrestling does that. I, I, I wish you would just, like, do that every time so then when you do the payoff, it makes sense. It's like when occasionally a company will just, like, add a time limit to a match, mm-hmm. and you're like, this is going to a draw, I guess. That's what we call the classic TNA move. Yeah, I hate that. So, yeah, match starts, referee is very quickly distracted, Naturals hit Storm in the back with the belt, then in the head with the belt, and they win the tag titles in, like, 30 seconds. They're the new NWA World Tag Team Champions. They've stolen the belts from AMW. They've stolen their identity. They've stolen their gimmick, and now they've stolen their titles. And Naturals are the, the top team in the company. I think I'm willing to take the L on the Naturals. You like the Naturals now? I think I like the Naturals. I think the Naturals are pretty good. And I like that tag finish. Oh, the Natural Disaster it rules. I think, like, yeah. I get why you didn't like them at the time. Because, like, they'd show up, they'd have a match with AMW. It would be fine. There'd be nothing. And they're just so hot shots, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like, the match would be fine. Like, there'd be nothing wrong with it. But then they'd disappear for months and show up again. And you did have the hot shots run before it, which was literally the exact same thing by the time you've seen all those hot shots matches and all those naturals matches you're like all right i get these guys and i don't like them but now that's like again they've given like committed television time they're on the show every week they have actual characters they have actual promo time and like they're not the my like my top five tag team of all time but as like a good tag team i like them yeah i think they're they're fun and they um they get tag team wrestling Mm. Which I guess is a low bar, but not a bar that everyone achieves. So. so later in the show, Hudson has Naturals. They're very happy. They talk about how they've gone for the gut checklist, the champs, before Russo comes out. And he's like, I have a problem with you guys. So he books them in a ladder match next week where the clothing will be above the ring. And if AMW win, they also get a title shot as well as their clothes back. 
Has anyone ever actually been fired from the gut checklist? No. People have always been just sitting on the gut checklist waiting to be fired. And, like, David Young hasn't won a match in whatever it is, 88 or 87 matches. I feel like you got to stop using someone. Yeah, you got to cut some people, right? They should have put D.O. on the cut checklist. Yeah, you're out of here. Well, just to establish that there's actual repercussions. Mm, as opposed to this, this little gimmick they're using. It's just like, we, we want to indicate that these people are doing badly. So they're on the gut checklist. So they might be caught. But no one is ever caught. Yeah. Maybe we will see that with David Young. So the Naturals will face AMW in a ladder match the following week, which they go to a 10-minute draw with Triple uh, X on TV. The Naturals do the first time limit draw in Impact history. Yeah, but I don't mind it because they've established it. <laughs> yeah, so this is episode six. So they went six episodes without doing a draw, which I think is fine. I think AEW did about the same. Mm. Before they did Park and uh, Mox. Uh, during this match, they had the ticker, and they accidentally put an extra W in TNAWrestling.com. You would have been furious. I was staring intently. It's like looking for typos in their ticker. Uh, you know what? The the Impact social media team of 2020 wouldn't have let that go through. Never. So Skipper had Stevens pinned, but Douglas pulled the referee out. They hit the time limit, JB. Relayed that Larry Zabisco has awarded the match to Triple X, so Triple X defeat the Naturals via judge's decision after a time limit draw. Naturals attacked, AMW saved. I do feel like the Naturals always get fucked. <laughs> yeah, the management is against them. Larry Z is against them. Like, Russo makes the match, and then Larry Z chooses against them. <laughs> it's just that it feels uh, like they get the short end of the stick. Even, like, the fact that they're wrestling AMW in a ladder match, and then they have to wrestle, like, the other top contenders on Impact. AMW get the entire show off. It's some bullshit. It's a conspiracy. For sure. So, next show, NWA TNA pay-per-view number 103, July 14th. Main event of the show is the ladder match for the uh, sh- title shot, as well as... AMW's gear, which is the reason it's called a double ladder match for some reason. I thought it should have been two ladders. It's just a ladder match. It's just a ladder match. It's not a double ladder match. They should have double the amount of a regular ladder match. Or they should have hung up two separate items. Which is what I thought they were going to do. Like, one is the title shot, one is the gear. But no, it's just they're both hung up. Yeah. In fact, AMW, because there is two things up there. There's the clipboard for the title shot and the gear, but they're all both hung above each other. Yeah, they should be on two separate ones. And AMW only ever actually pulled down the gear. They never pulled down the contract, so... That's all you need, apparently. Uh, before the match, we had an interview. Hudson had AMW. They're taking the Naturals seriously now because those titles mean more to them than anything in the world. And they're going. the Naturals are going to learn how hard it is to stay champions tonight. Triple X walk in, say, when AMW win the belts, Triple X want the first shot to prove who is best. I think those two could have a good ladder match. Uh, sorry, a good steel cage. There match. is no precedent for this. Don't talk nonsense. Nah, I'm sorry. So, double ladder match. AMW defeat the Naturals in a match where these two teams killed each other. Yeah. <laughs> it seems to be like a reoccurring theme in TNA ladder matches where it's like, I don't think it was a great ladder match. I didn't love it. <laughs> but also, these guys just went out there and killed each other. Yeah, it's kind of dull, though. But, like, there was sunsets with the power bombs off ladders and, like, hip tosses off ladders. And, like, my favorite spot in the match was Andy Douglas was too far away from the, the like, the hanging things, the gear and the, the contract. So he tried to jump off the ladder and grab them in midair, but then Harris jumped off the ropes to spear him out of midair and fucking rocked. I think I'm just, like, ladder match... Fatigued. You've watched like 7,000 of them and you finally had your film? Yeah. I think I'm everything fatigued besides just regular wrestling. Yeah, just, just wrestle. Just wrestle. Which is why I'm like, I beg for new matches. Mm, you want your painbow. If this was a painbow <laughs> match. Triple uh, X watched on. Chase pushed Storm off the top of the ladder through a table. 
Uh, Douglas threw powder in the eyes of Harris. Powder is kind of their thing. Powder and chair shots. Harris speared Douglas in midair, allowing <laughs> the AMW to pull the gear down to get the tag title shot. And Harris said, next week they'll take the title shot in their dream match. It will be the first ever six-sided cage match as Six Sides of Steel debuts in TNA. Cool. Quite the um, historical uh, match for Impact. Obviously, we will get sick of it very quickly. <laughs> when they start to do Garrett's weird fantasized every match in the cage pay-per-views. Why is that my weird fantasize? Because you keep putting it over to me and I say it's dumb. I don't know. I like lockdown. I don't know. I think it kind of devalues it. It's like Hell in a Cell or TLC. Now, you see, I think cage matches have already reached that stage of being like tables matches where it's like they're good matches, but they're not like you have to protect it. So you can just do a show of cage matches. Nah. Nah. (laughs) Uh, Impact, July 16th. The main event was the AMW against Shazarian match. Again, went to a time limit draw. Uh, Dusty made the call, awarded the match to AMW. Naturals run out, Triple X run out, brawl. You also had a Triple X tag on that show too. They beat Miyamoto and Nasawa. No Mazada yes, though. Yes, the powerplex on Nasawa. Team Canada comes out to confront Triple X after the match. Mm-hmm. To set up the first six sides of steel match in the history of Impact Wrestling. Again, before the match, another AMW interview. They're going to make history. They're going to win the belts back tonight. Triple X walk in and reinforce. They're four and one against AMW. And when AMW beat the Naturals, they are going to face AMW for the titles. And Triple X is also on a bit of a run too because they not only beat, you know, Team Japan, they also beat Team Mexico on this show. Yeah, they're running through all the X-Cup teams. They also got the time limit result against the Naturals, so they have a, a victory over the Naturals by time limit judges' decision. I get like, I don't know. I think it's maybe like a lack of match quality, but Triple X are on a run at the mm. moment. If their matches were good, it would be real good. Yeah. Oh, they also won. We didn't even mention it. There was that three-way tag on. Was it the first show of the month? Yeah. Which was Team Canada versus Triple X versus uh, Amazing Red and Chris Sabin in a match that was a fucking disaster. I don't remember much. It was a match that, on paper, you're like, all right, you have Edith Skipper and Christopher Daniels, Petey Williams, Bobby Roode, Amazing Red, and Chris Saban in the ring. You're like, oh, this is actually going to be really good. But they did it like the triple threat rules where three guys in the ring are in the ring at all times. That's so stupid. And it was just chaos, and they didn't work it out, and it was just everything was messy. And for a match with six wrestlers, who are many of whom are among my absolute favorites, like, ever including Chris Aben, one of my favorite all-time wrestlers, full stop. Match sucked. It was terrible. Yeah. Just one of those matches where guys went out there and nothing landed and everything went wrong and it was just a mess. It happens sometimes. Mm. I was thinking during that, like, I would much prefer a Saban-Jerry Lynn team in the tag division. Mm. Just as I think there's a lot, of, a lot of people to work with. Which we do get a little of. And Red disappears again. Yeah. So yes, the Naturals defeat America's Most Wanted in the first TNA Six Sides of Steel match to retain the NWA World Tag Team titles. Listen, this will always sit in the shadow of the AMW against Triple X match, which was a much better match. But I thought this was a pretty darn good cage match. Yeah, like, by any other wrestling standards, it was just okay. But by (laughs) NWA TNA standards, it was like a match of the year candidate. By the low bar this company sets, where they have, like, one four-star match every three months, if that, that might wow. be generous. <laughs> I was like, wow, you're giving them credit. 
this 3-7-5 match is it is probably one of the matches of the year. This has been a bad year for TNA Bell to Bell, all things all things considered. But like it's it's a three and a three and three quarter star match. I think this match is really good. I still think like the visual they all bleed, they all bleed a lot. But the visual of Chase Stevens climbing the cage, bonking his head off the camera, looking up with his bloody face to see the camera, and then just YOLO moonsault off the cage, that image rocks. It's just one of those things. It's like him bonking his head off the camera made the spot so much better. It's like, oh, I just hit my head off a camera, and then I moonsaulted off a cage. Yeah, and then, of course, one of the most iconic shots in company history, too. Yeah. You also had Storm just doing a Steiner screwdriver. Yeah, what the fuck? <laughs> Which I don't think he ever does again, but he's like, fuck it. This is a cage match. I'm doing a Steiner screwdriver. It'll look good, too. Yeah. So, finish. Harris and Stevens got stuck outside the cage. They fell down. Stevens and Harris were about to get back in when Team Canada swarmed the cage, took out Harris. Triple X came out to try and run them off. But then Stevens got back in the ring. The Naturals hit the natural disaster, but Storm kicked out. Then they grabbed the chair, hit him twice in the head with the chair, retained the titles. The Naturals, still the NWA World Tag Team Champions. Which I think was kind of a, a surprise, too. Yeah, again, the idea is like the cage match is AMW's match. It's the match they asked for. It's the match they called their dream match. And the Naturals beat them in it. Fair enough, with outside interference from the, the from Team Canada. But still, it's, a, it's an attempt to establish the Naturals by having them beat AMW in their own match. Yeah. One of those, one read all these notes in Glenn Gilberti's voice, and two, really sign of the times changing notes. Some wrestlers were chuckling at the Naturals in AMW for walking through their entire cage match prior to the show. However, one wrestler defended both tag teams. They don't know any better, the wrestler said. No one taught them, and there's nowhere for them to learn. Which, again, let's talk about veterans being condescending and talking about young guys learning. And two, that's the way all wrestling works now. Like, everyone walks through all of their spots. It's also a steel cage. Yeah, you don't want to just go out there and wing it. I like that, um, you know, the idea of, like, Raven or someone being in the back and being like, oh, you're not listening to Dutch Mantel? <laughs> you know, I'd, like you to go up to, I'd like you to go up to Dutch and tell him that you're working through your steel cage match. I, like, even by 04, though, I think we were firmly in the every match is planned down to intricate detail territory. Like, it's not the 90s where, like, Savage and DDP were ridiculed for it. Like, 04, the, the tide had firmly turned in the favor of, like, intricately planning your matches in advance. Because, for the most part, you can have a better match that way. And, the, like, the only problem you run into is if your match is dying, you might not be flexible enough to change it on the fly. But... Like, tied to change by 04. This is even an unfair criticism of these guys in 04. Yeah. God forbid people care. AMW beat Petey Williams and Bobby Roode on the July 28th show. A heart attack. Demore pulled the ref out of They hit the heart attack. No one had a heart attack. The wrestling move. <laughs> but Demore distracted the ref. Storm super kicked Roode and Harris got a jackknife pin for the win. Team Canada attacked AMW after the match. Triple X made the save. All of these tag teams are being interwoven. Hmm. But some of them don't get along. As illustrated, as the Naturals defended the NWA World Tag Team titles against Triple X, Demore comes out, distracts Daniels, who was about to go for an Angel's Wings. Then the Naturals hit the Natural Disaster for the win. Then we have like the inverse of what happened in the opening segment, where Team Canada attack Triple X, AMW make the save, Storm say they're the best, but then Skipper gets in with Storm. It seems like it's building up to like an eight-man tag with Triple X and AMW against the Naturals Team Canada. But then... Storm and uh, Elix Skipper, Triple X and AMW start getting into it. They should do 2v2v2v2 like a Wrestle Kingdom opener. Mm. This was the match where it's like, none of these matches are that good and Triple X aren't interesting as babyfaces. Yeah, I agree. 
It's just like, oh. Like, it should, like, the natural against Triple X should be a good match. America's Most Wanted versus Team Canada should be a good match. Again, two matches that have uh, eight good wrestlers in them across the board, and the matches just didn't turn out to be particularly interesting. And there you go. There's all your tag team stuff for the month. It was okay. I like that there is clearly multiple teams in the division that are getting pushes and stories. Mm. And they're making like a real conscious effort to like tell you about that. It's like, oh, we have a loaded tag division. We have AMW, we have the Naturals, we have Triple X, we have, you know, the other Team Mexico, Team Japan. We have all that and Team Canada. We have all these teams. I do wish they just delivered at a high level. Yeah, and it's like part of like the asylum environment is just dead. And they're better. They're better than they were a few months ago, but it's still not great. Yeah. Even though there is, like, bitter beef between the Asylum and the Impact Zone now. There's a sign in the crowd at one stage that's like, Asylum owns Studio 21. Haha, <laughs> owned. That'd be known if you've seen the Saban section signs in the crowd. Mm-hmm. I finally bit the bullet and bought SabanSection.com. <laughs> yeah! So if you head to SabanSection.com, you can find our Patreon. Can you get Paparazzi Productions? <laughs> Let me look into it. Uh, yeah, and on that last Impact, we also had the another Team Canada squash. Oh, yeah, and Triple X faced Kazarian. DQ, Skipper had Kazarian pinned, but... Everyone runs out. Yeah, we have... Just like we we ended the this month the exact same way we ended last month, Liam. A classic big-ass brawl. Hell, yes. That's what I love to see. We had Triple X, we had Kazarian, we had AMW, we had Team Canada, we had Styles, we had Cash all out there all brawling. Mm. So, the last two things to cover, two very exciting feuds to talk about here, Liam. Let's start with the absolute classic that is pat kenny feuding with big veto i mean go ahead king (laughs) we are coming up on like probably by the time this is edited like three hours into this show and we're gonna talk about pat kenny and big veto correction you're gonna talk about it (laughs) nwa tna pay-per-view number 102 july 7th 2004 we had a mixed tag team match in which big veto and trinity defeated sunny siaki and desire (laughs) uh yeah it was a match men versus men women versus women classic mixed tag rules Vito pushes the ref into the ropes. Vito followed with an impaler DDT. Kenny then showed up, ran off the heels with an Irish whip, which they called an Irish whip, as in a, a strap, not the, uh, the wrestling maneuver. They should have not done that. They should have been like, ah. <laughs> so NWATNA baby number 103, Vito and Pat Kenny are brawling backstage. I did appreciate they were brawling into rooms we haven't seen in the asylum before. Yeah, we got some like, uh, which is weird because it feels like, we're only just getting it, you know? Yeah, we're leaving and they're like, look at these rooms. There's a whole bathroom we haven't seen before. And they're like a random, I think they brawled into one of the, the bathrooms and someone was just looking at them. It's like, oh, hello. Yeah, there was a kid like washing his hands. <laughs> Seeing Vito and Pat Kenny brawl up on them. Hey, when you gotta go, you gotta go. Later on that show, Hudson has Pat Kenny. He says jumping him from behind makes Vito extra Italian, which seems super racist. Like, this is a full-on Irish-Italian race war. Why do you hate the Italians? It's because of Italian 90. They knocked us out of Italian 90, and we have not recovered from that since. I know that is. It's a football tournament. Ah. Is that a football tournament that will stop running because of the Queen? Uh, no, it's the World Cup. Oh. Where we got to the knockout stages, and then the Italians knocked us out. Oh. Aren't they, like, historically good at the sport? They're much better than us at the sport. That is true. So, you know, you can't even... You can't blame yourself. I can. <laughs> It was very rude. We were doing the miracle well, run. Clearly not. No, clearly not. 
So he wants any match against Vito. Vito jumped him and they brawled before security broke it, broke it up. Which brings us to NW18 and pay-per-view number 104. As Big Vito defeated Pat Kenny in a Sicilian street fight. Which was a street fight. It was a match that happened. Uh, Trinity hit Kenny with a low blow. Vito hit a lifting DDT for the win. Post-match whipping attempt before security came out. Please tell me about your thoughts about this wrestling contest, Liam. Um, it was booked. Do you have a single memory? We did the watch-along for this, by the way. So we watched it together. Do you have a single memory of this big Vito Pat Kenny feud? Never mind the match. I have two thoughts. Give me them. One, mm-hmm. Vito has the worst gear I've ever seen in my life. Isn't he just wearing a singlet? Yeah, but it's a singlet that's like straight up like just above the balls <laughs> okay like it's so goddamn tight it's like dragon lee mm. and two they used the trash can oh they did they did use the trash can a lot so there you go Vito one which brings us to the last show of the month last pay-per-view of the month anyway nwtna favorite number 105 july 28th in which hudson had the naturals they were doing a promo afterwards Pat Kenny comes in with Trinity. He's like holding her hostage. It's very aggressive. Yeah, that was weird. He's like, you do go, you don't go anywhere. He's pulling her around. It's it's not very nice. What a classic Irish baby face. So Kenny would like to face Vito next week in a luck of the Irish weapons match. Oh, Garrett, what does the luck of the Irish weapons match entail? You hit each other with shamrocks and other such weapons, barons, mm-hmm. shillelaghs. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Hurley's. Do you have a shillelagh? I don't have a shillelagh, no. I don't even have a Bowron. What the fuck? It's gonna whip Big Vito like a Bowron, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> I understand. It's funny because it's like a type of drum. Because <laughs> you, you beat it. Oh, Bowron boy. <laughs> the pipes, the pipes are calling. <laughs> Alright, before we lose our mind, the very last thing to talk about on these shows is the big... David Young, Mike Posey feud. The one you've been waiting to talk about, Liam. Big DK, Mike Posey. Donkey Kong! DK <laughs> stands for dropkick. Ah. Uh. Oh, July 7th pay-per-view, you had the Shark Boy and D-Ray losing to Michael Shane and Kazarian. After the match, David Young comes out to shout at Mike Posey. Young slaps him. Posey fires up. Posey runs wild until Swinger and Disco come out. Young drops Posey with a spine buster before Sharkboy and D-Ray make the save. I'm a hooting and hollering, baby. July 14th pay-per-view opens with Vito shouting at Disco for not being Italian enough. He's like, you're a failure of an Italian. Every day. Then Gilberti's like, it's not my fault. It's David Young's fault. He's a horrible loser. And then David Young's like, it's not my fault. It's Mike Posey's fault. He's ruining my life. David Young isn't even Italian. Vito wants none of Young because he's not Italian. That's that's the story. Vito says Gilberti and Swinger better better get their act together or he'll literally kill them. He's like, you will end up in the boot of my car. Maybe he's just going to drive them somewhere. Uh, David Young is shouting at Mike Posey. Gilberti and Swinger join him. Posey gets a broom, clears house. Sharkboy D-Ray make the save. Same pretty much angle as last week. I like that this doesn't touch Impact. <laughs> no, the David Young is not on Impact. Glenn Gilberti is not on Impact. Swinger should be on Impact. He should be uh, like uh, just showing off his pecs, which is basically what he does all month. Of course. He stands there flexing. So NWATNA baby number 104, July 21. Hudson has Young and Swinger. Gilberti's not there. He's in Hawaii. TNA advertising for this match, by the way, knowing he'd be in Hawaii. He has a booking in Hawaii. They were like, he's not going to be able to be there. But we're going to advertise him for this match anyway. Don't worry. I don't think anyone's buying the pay-per-view for that. I was going to say, probably under the assumption that no one will give a fuck if he's not there. And if anything, 
they might be happier. <laughs> so David Young, he's gotten to about the referees. Then Sharkboy, D-Ray, and Mike Posey defeat David Young and Johnny Swinger in a three-on-two handicap match because Gilbert, he was meant to be there but didn't show up because he was in Hawaii. Uh, Posey dropkicks D-Ray into the pin on Young. Owen87 is now Young's record. Young grabbed a microphone. He asks for one more match against Posey and also blames Disco for losing. And if Young doesn't win that match against Posey, he'll leave TNA forever! Until 2023. <laughs> Until his big reverse battle royal return. You're right. He did actually state that. He's like, if I lose the Mike Posey, I'll leave TNA forever, except I want to do one more match in like 18 years on the pre-show of the 20th anniversary show. Which, hey, you know, fair play for him being specific and putting it in the contract. Mm. July 28th, we had a backstage promo. Hudson had David Young. Young didn't, didn't want to hear about Gilberti, didn't want to hear from Gilberti's. I appreciate that he's like, this guy is a toxic friend mm-hmm. and I'm trying to sever ties. I also still appreciate that the entire Glenn Gilberti character is a fucking dumbass idiot who everyone thinks is stupid other than himself. Even David Young. Yeah. Imagine getting owned consistently by David Literally Young. He cuts a promo here being like, there is nobody in the world who would make me want to hear about or from the Disco Inferno. Which I agree. Young says he'll get a job in a 7-Eleven if he can't beat the referee. Glenn shows up and he's like, we need to help each other. We're both on the gut checklist. There's a referee conspiracy. They were bundling together there to talk about how they can beat you. Which is probably true. Mm. But also, fine. (laughs) (laughs) Which brings us to the match we've been building to for like six weeks. The match that the world has been waiting for. Mike Posey versus David Young. Posey dropkicked Young into Gilberti on the apron, rolled him up. <laughs> Liam's given me nothing. He's got nothing left on this show. I am like CM Punk at the moment, at the end of my tether. I'm sick of carrying this company single-handedly. <laughs> uh, this entire podcast, I put it on my back, working with a bunch of young pricks who don't have a brain in their head. And I'm here by myself, talking about Mike Posey and David Young at 3.28 in the morning, three hours, 46 minutes into this podcast recording. I'm going to kick the shit out of you and your dog. <laughs> We're going to fight. Uh Who's your friend that's going to bite me? That's the question. Uh, Griffin. So yeah, Posey dropkicked Young into Gilberti on the apron. Rolled him up, scored the win. Gilberti pushed Young a bunch. He's mad that he lost, but then Young fought back. Swinger came out, sided with Disco. They beat down Young two-on-one, and they shoved the gut checklist in his mouth, as that is all the developments of this feud for this month. Is David Young done? No. Thank God. I want to give David Young a proper, like, goodbye. Mm-hmm. And I can't do that now. <laughs> you have about another two years of David Young. You're fine. What the fuck? Even though he just lost this, uh, if I lose to a referee, I'll never show up again match. I thought David Young was like gone. But he did a babyface turn after, so he's fine. All right. Well, um, let's give Black Label Pro a little shout out. Oh yeah, he's booked on one of the upcoming shows. Go watch David Young and Black Label Pro. In, in the Turbo 16. Mm. Which I believe is that opens the door of a chance of a Shun Skywalker versus David Young match. Do it. Which needs to happen. If they book anything else, I'll be upset. Top 10 wrestler of the year, Shun Skywalker, and David Young needs to happen. Mm. Alright, that's it. July. You want to go show by show? No. (laughs) Read any notes that we didn't read, and that's it. Yeah, patreon.com slash kidding me if there's anything we didn't cover. There's nine shows. We got the most important stuff. (laughs) I'm sorry that we didn't talk about... Let's find a match we didn't mention. Fucking... Uh, um what 
We, there's cause a couple of Monty squashes on Impact we didn't talk. Oh, no, there's actually one important one. He faces Antonio Banks in the television debut of MVP. Oh, yeah. We also didn't talk about my second favorite heavyweight MMA fighter of all time, Daniel Cormier. Oh, yes. Daniel Cormier and Joe Williams showed up. They were part of the 2004 U.S. Olympic wrestling team. They were doing a little tour thing here. So they, they walked out. They they waved. They said hello. And it's it's weird. Like Daniel Cormier randomly showing up in TNA. One of the best heavyweight fighters of all time. Yeah. TNA announced that it has invited two members of the U.S. Olympic wrestling team to appear on its upcoming Impact program. Daniel Cormier and Joe Williams will be appearing to garner support and publicize the U.S. team before they head to Athens in their quest for gold. Well, Daniel Cormier is a huge wrestling fan, too. I suppose he's never done any, because he's retired now, right? Yeah, uh, there was talks, WWE specifically, mm. and I believe for a section that they wanted to do, like, a Lesnar thing, playing off of the MMA fight. It's a lot of commitment, mm. and DC still works a lot with the UFC commentator public face to the company in a lot of things so i just don't think he would have the time to like get in ring shape and and geared up for it but i'd be down dc's um a charismatic dude and it'd be fun to watch him throw a dude around he came fourth in the olympics in 04 so there you go yeah well, of course he's most he lost to Kazuhirumurat i'm sorry for butchering your name i'm glad you decided to do yes. that Brought this on myself. Let's find out how Joe Williams did. Yeah, please continue talking about Daniel Cormier. I was going to say that, like, of course, Daniel Cormier's biggest and most impressive feat. Not the two UFC heavyweight titles he had, but, um, of course, Strike Force champion. Yeah, and he's appearing in NWA TNA. Come on. They should bring him into Noah. Daniel Cormier and Noah would actually be fucking awesome. <laughs> Williams qualified for the Olympics. Or the bloody, bloody, blah. Oh, he finished fifth, I think. Now, eat shit. Why did he get more of a fucking... Get put over more than DC? I think Joe Williams is a bigger star, but I'm not sure. Well, he came fifth. Well, th- th- this appearance was before they, they competed in the Olympics. Well, does, don't they look a fool now? They backed the wrong horse. Yeah. So there you go. Daniel Cormier, MVP, Joe Williams. All appearing in 2004 TNA. And Mazada, allegedly. Uh, yeah, he's he's apparently there under a mask looking a lot like David Young. Oh, Jeff Jarrett at one stage talked about how like the asylum is the building that Jeff Jarrett built. And it's like, pal... I don't think you want to take credit for that building. I think he still did that. Like, I think he did that at the Ric Flair thing. He's building all of these buildings. Yeah. He should build a new company for us to cover. Oh, also, Raven has his good theme song back. Devastated. That makes me happy. You gotta keep them separated. All right, that is July 2004, before Liam loses his mind even more than he already has. You can follow us on Twitter... This is the start of my day. Yeah, you have, like, what, uh, a class? I have, like, ten hours of shit to do. You have do. a class at a, mo- a film festival to go to today? Is that it? I have a class which started 30 minutes ago. <laughs> oh, well, so much for that. Yeah. And um, then I have to go to a, a 48-hour film festival in which I have to make the film. Oh, that's fun. I mean, it would be. <laughs> Yeah, good luck with that. Except that I'm on three and a half hours sleep. Listen, you missed your class, so you can sleep until then now, at least. I'm gonna go to the class. It's a three-hour class. Oh, you're just gonna pop in halfway through? Yep. It's also stupidly hot now. It was freezing at the start of this. Now the sun's come out. I'm sweating. I'm fucking uncomfortable. I'm breaking Big Dick Nick's rules of complaining. <laughs> I'm a broken man. If they do ask you, please tell you you're recording a pro wrestling podcast. I will not. That's why you were late. I 
<laughs> Can not. you imagine if you walked in? It's like, uh, Liam, why did you miss the first hour of the class? It's like, because we just recorded a three-hour, 53-minute pro wrestling podcast. <laughs> Yeah, like let's go seven more minutes so we can make it four clean. <laughs> We're not gonna go that long. Garrett, Tem Tem. <laughs> also, we did like fifteen minutes of a break in the middle, and also, um, I'll be cutting out even more. So it's gonna be nowhere near four hours. You're fine. Ah! <laughs> Patreon.com/slash kidding me, TNAchat.com or SabinSection.com. If you'd like to support us more on Patreon, you can get our watch-alongs, which we did for NWA TNA pay-per-view number one oh four which was where you had the first Six Sides of Steel match between AMW and The Naturals. You can get a watch along of that on Patreon now. You can also get our, our Rinka King series. You can get our Global Force Wrestling series. You can get our Monday Night Wars series. You can get our drafts. You can get our union reviews and all other fun stuff. Patreon.com slash getting me or TNAchat.com. I think I already did the Twitters, but I'll do them again. Follow me on Twitter at Garrett Kidney. Follow me on Twitter at The Gleet Winner. Follow the podcast on Twitter at TNA History Pod. Again, we'll be back when we're back with the August episode. Sorry about the one episode a month schedule, but there's a lot to get through. And as you can see, Liam's a very busy boy. So thanks for listening and bye-bye. Fucking do the damn thing, you empty-headed fuck. (laughs) 